This is the Homebrew Game Club, a podcast about modern, brand new aftermarket video games for retro consoles. On this podcast, we pick one game a month to play and talk about. Today's game is Full Quiet for the Nintendo Entertainment System. My name is Nick, also known as Divertov, and with me today are Connor Nash, also known as Connor Nash, all one word on social media. Chris, also known as Deadeye. Chris, oh my God. What? What did you do with Bart? (laughs) Yes, we have a guest host today for the first time in the history of the podcast. Welcome, Chris, also known as Deadeye. Chris, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, some people might know me from staff on Video Game Stage on the Homebrew team. Otherwise, people may know me just on Twitter or elsewhere as Deadeye. Well, X now, I guess, whatever, or Rip Completely. You can find me on uh, Mastodon and... Uh, Blue Sky. Anyway, um, I got involved into the homebrew scene just as a casual player and then more involved with interviewing developers and doing long plays uh, a few years ago. Sometimes I do a podcast with my fellow staff on Video Game Stage. You may know them as uh, Scrubbins or Sean and Neo Delfino, Justin. Great. Yeah, you used to have your your podcast was called Homebrews in Focus. Yep. Is that, uh, are, are, do you have any plans to go back to that at some point? R.I.P. <laughs> R.I.P. Okay. <laughs> I did enjoy it. I, I did enjoy it. Your episodes were quite long. I know with, uh, I did watch the whole lizard, uh, interview that you did with Brad Smith. I think that was like five and a half hours long. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the way <laughs> my approach to it, I'm kind of jealous of your podcast. Cause I think mentally I'm like, how can I discuss a game if I don't show everything about it and talk to the developer and do all this research and it's just too daunting. But anyway, I was approaching it as a kind of almost like a film commentary. Yeah, right. Where you are watching this and you're getting some history and some information from what would have been the director. But this is, you know, the, the programmer or developer. And that was kind of my approach to showcasing the game and the people behind it. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it, like a director commentary mm-hmm. on like a DVD or something. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. And I'm going to let you in on a little secret, the reason why I asked you to be here. we I first reached out to you a few months ago when I knew we were going to do this game. I was afraid that none of our regular hosts would actually finish the game. Mm. So, <laughs> this is a totally I, valid concern. I knew that uh, that you were in our Discord channel early, and you had posted some very helpful posts, especially like you know people getting into the game for the first time. And so I thought that you could uh, maybe help provide some insight here, mm. especially if the rest of us had our asses too kicked by this game <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, could not really talk about it appropriately. However, I can say all three of us have, in fact, finished Full Quiet. Ooh. Congratulations. Yes. I, as we are, we are recording in the morning. I actually finished it yesterday evening. (laughs) After after at least two months of picking away at it, (laughs) I did finally finish the game. So. We all did it. Congratulations, everyone. Yes. Thank you. Uh, Well, uh, Connor, how have you been? How how, have you guys, uh, anything going on with either of you that you uh, maybe want to talk about here at the head of the podcast? Well, I, I was the first one to finish Full Quiet out of myself and nick which is completely you know unheard of that i, you, I mean you were done with it like a couple months ago like you were, you were I, done. Uh, I, did, I didn't want to like you know be too vocal about it but now that we're on the podcast like <laughs> in your face you know just like throwing that right back at you 
Well, cemented in time and recorded as forever. You can go back to the tape. I beat exactly. this before you. That's right. <laughs> and I will not hear any uh, naysaying about the methods by which I, I used to ensure that I completed it. Yeah, I have a little rant about save states. So. Yeah, I bet. But uh, I think, you know, one of the things that... Um, that I've been really getting into is the fact that I played it on the analog pocket and we'll talk about that later as well. But the analog pocket is just awesome. I'm just loving having this <laughs> device. It's just so good for playing whenever you want. Like I yeah. literally took a vacation with my family recently. It was like a four hour plane flight and we were able to play games on it. And it was just so nice to have as a just, cause it's just like quick wake. It's like the battery lasts a long time. It's such good fidelity. Yeah, it's kind of like almost reignited a little bit more of like a passion for playing games for me. Just like having a device like that that just really showcases games in the best way. So I'm just like, I'm really stoked to be playing more homebrew right now. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Well, this is going to be a little bit of a a different episode. I don't think we're going to have a lot of time to do the kind of extra stuff that we do. I didn't take any notes on news. I know there's a lot of stuff going on right now. I know there's new Kickstarters, but I don't have any of that written down. I figured we were going to take the entire episode to talk about this game. It is a huge game. I know Connor and I have both have some very strong opinions about it. So mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping this will be a really good episode here. But yeah, I do want to say just right off the top, I do have a little bit of news. We are now, the podcast is now on Amazon Music and Audible. So if you are listening to us on some other platform and that is your preferred platform of choice, you can now find our podcast on either of those. I did that. I set that up this week. It took me about 10 minutes and um, I I just neglected to do that in the past. I had no idea it would be that easy. So yeah, I uh, got off my ass and did it and you can now find us on Amazon Music and Audible. Ooh, we're part of the Audible family. Yes. So yeah, Chris, just so you know, you might have to step in and adjudicate and mm. adjudicate. separate between the strong opinions that are going to get shared. On this. Yeah, let me tell you, if if you are listening to this and you are the type of person who really enjoys it, when the hosts of this podcast disagree about a game, I think this should be a good one. Oh boy. <laughs> Connor, Connor, Chris has no idea what he stepped into here. Connor and I have been like texting each other back and forth for like two months. Like we, I, I think we're both kind of chomping at the bit here. To get into this. <laughs> I'm ready to go. Speaking of which, I need to read our disclaimer. Before we get started, I would like to remind everyone that on this podcast, we believe in honest opinions, but we also understand that many of these games were not made by professionals. They are labors of love. Also, as a note to our listeners, we are not game developers ourselves. We are just fans. So please keep that in mind as we offer up any criticisms of these games. All right. So, full quiet. Folks. Where do we even start here? Where do we even start? I want to start with a, a note about spoilers, okay? Yes. So we do occasionally on this podcast talk about games that are very hard to talk about unless you uh, spoil a lot of the mm. gameplay. You, you straight up spoil it. <laughs> so uh, it's very difficult to talk about this game without giving a lot of the uh, clues away. It's it's very mm-hmm. puzzle intensive. It's very based on exploration. Mm-hmm. The three of us, if if you guys are down with this, so we can maybe talk about this game right up until the part of the podcast where we usually talk about stuff that works or doesn't work. So uh, through our, our descriptions of the gameplay and things like that, I think we can talk about the game without giving too much of it away. But at that point... I'm going to remind listeners that if they want to play the game, this might be a good time to turn off the podcast, 
and uh, and come back later because we're gonna we're gonna drop a lot of spoilers after. And this. It's, that, it's definitely a game where you want to encounter these things a little bit yourself and see what you think they're like because let's be honest, this is going to be a pretty polarizing kind of discussion in terms of some people like the kind of you know things that they get in this game, some people don't. So yeah, strongly encouraging people to just at least crack open the game and give yourself a chance to you know explore a little bit before you hear our opinions, maybe color your own. Yeah, just have it punch you in the face and give you a wedgie before you decide if you like that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <clears throat> okay, so here we go. History, full quiet. History. Man, this game has some lore. I tell you what, this is yeah. this is kind of a legendary game in the NES homebrew community. Now, Chris, you can maybe help me out here because you've, I think, how long have you been in the homebrew scene? I can't quite remember. Maybe it was 2017, 16. I was like a late arrival. I haven't been there that long. Okay. Before Nintendo Age kind of collapsed, probably like two years before Nintendo Age collapsed. Okay. Well, 2017. So did you remember when this game was kickstarted? Were you around at that point? I was around, but I wasn't, I was still kind of playing things from the past. Okay. And I missed the Kickstarter, but I joined the, uh, I think it was on Backer. Backer Kick. Some other Backer platform. I joined it after. So I pre-ordered it. But I was on like the second wave of cartridges getting released. Yeah. I was able to get the like silver upgraded edition or whatever. So that was open. It wasn't a Kickstarter exclusive. You can get it on the backer platform after. Yeah, I did the same thing. I got it on backer kit. I think I got it in like 2019. Yeah, they had that open for a long time. Yeah. And I kept changing. I was like, oh, I'll get the standard edition. Oh, I don't want to miss out. Let me let me upgrade. Oh, let me go back. I don't. I don't really. Need, oh, I, I, I need that. <laughs> I kind of did the same thing. Yeah. So the the limited edition of this game has a silver cartridge, and I it looks really great. And they did. Uh, yeah. I really like the limited edition box artwork that they came out with. Mm. Uh, I think the packaging on this game is fantastic. I really like the label on the regular edition, though. There's something about that like black and white artwork. I was like, oh, I like that. Oh yeah, <laughs> right. Okay, developed by Retrotainment Games, who also put out, boy, they've been really busy. They're a very busy uh, group of folks. Haunted Halloween, 85, 86. They did the Garbage Pail Kids game, Mad Mike. They also worked on releases for I Am 8-Bit and Mega Cat. Helped to port several games to other platforms like Project Blue and NESCape and Dead Tomb. Very busy folks. The manual for this game lists seven people on the development side which for an NES homebrew is a lot of folks. And in fact, mm-hmm. Retrotainment does not refer to their games as homebrew, which uh, is, uh, you know, I, that is their prerogative. I understand why they might want to shake off the uh, kind of amateur implications of that label, I guess you could say. They call their games Indie NES, which I don't know, it's kind of a kind of a weird thing. Indie NES? Indie Indie, Indie Nez. N-D-N-E-S. Indie Ness. Indie Ness. It sounds like five letters, doesn't it? Right. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. you're like, I think they're trying to ride the line because like, you know, they do this full time. Sure. Yeah. They might have other things. They have a team and everything. So they probably view themselves more as a independent or indie. But like when you right. say indie, you're not going to necessarily, most people are not going to think, oh, for the NES. So mm. putting this in your name, you're kind of like, oh, they're an indie NES developer. No, I yeah, I agree with that and I I understand it and I sympathize with it, but unfortunately this is the name of this podcast and we're not going to change our branding at this point. <laughs> so kind of sold on it, but yeah. Yeah. Uh music by Human Thomas. 
Let me see. Game history. Yes. So let's talk about the history of this game. Kickstarted in 2017 with 509 backers, raised over $32,000, which at that point was quite a lot for an NES homebrew. After that, they put it on BackerKit, as Chris and I discussed. That was afterwards. That's where I got it. I got it in 2019, and I was really excited because I was like, okay, this was two years ago. I cannot wait to play this game super soon. It was not soon. It was... Uh, <laughs> spoiler. Straight away. First spoiler. It was no, not be, People would talk about this game it uh, in in terms of like... Like it was this legendary unreleased game, you know, like, oh man, I can't wait until Full Quiet comes out. It's going to be so great. And this was like back in like 2020, you know, and uh, it had this kind of like mythical vaporware quality about it. I even remember you talking about it. I just remember having conversations about it and like. Oh, way before we started the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And just like seeing screenshots that were kind of like in development. I was like, no way is that in this game. (laughs) Well, and everybody, you know, because these guys would would go do like they would announce like, hey, we're doing the Mega Man 2 anniversary release for I am 8-bit. And, you know, people would be like, uh, what about Full Quiet? Right. <laughs> oh, that's, that's great. But what about your game? It was becoming a Game of Thrones kind of thing. Like, Yeah. But then, you know, then like after six months, they would post something on Kickstarter that they, that they had been working on, some new mechanic, and it would get everybody excited again. But yeah, so this game did finally ship in very late 2022. I think I got my copy the last week of that year. And about six months later, it released on Steam. And now you can get it on other platforms. The uh, Nintendo eShop, Xbox. And we did play a little bit of a role in the history of this game. I I, I think I can say that. So when, back in January, uh, when I popped in the cartridge and I wanted to play the game for the first time, I immediately realized I was never going to get anywhere in this goddamn game <laughs> without some help. And so I went online and I was, I was like, you know, that's the problem with playing homebrew games is that you can't really go online and find help because... They're new games, you know, for old consoles. So if I were playing like an old NES game, I would just go on GameFAQs yes. and I would read a walkthrough from 20 years ago, you know, or download a map that somebody made when they were, you know, in high school and now they're 45 with kids, but, <laughs> you know, and it would help me through the game. But you can't do that with these kind of games. And so I went on the Retrotainment Games website and I, I think I may have even asked them on Twitter, you know, do you guys have a Discord or some other forum where folks can talk about your games? And they don't. They didn't have anything like that. And so I said, well, why don't we do it? So I went into our Discord and I set up a channel for full, full quiet. I knew that we would be covering this game at some point. Mm-hmm. And I announced on Twitter and other platforms, I said, hey, we got a Discord channel to talk about this game. If you want to if you want to work through it and talk to some other folks, we've we've got a space where you can do that. And a lot of people signed up. I We had maybe like, I don't know, a, a couple dozen active users in that channel. And for a few months there from about January until March of or maybe uh, April of, of 2023, that was, I think, the most active channel on our Discord server. And I tried to not go in there very often because I didn't want to get spoiled. I wanted to, you know, I didn't have time to play through the game at that point. Right. And it's a little catch-22 because you're like, ooh, <laughs> yeah. it's the most active channel on my Discord. <laughs> yeah, I, but I had no idea what was going on in there. But yeah, um, it turned into this really excellent source of information about this game. Uh, a few folks in there who had been talking about it broke off at one point and formed another Discord server for speedrunning this game. And at that point... Everybody who was interested in the game kind of moved over to that one, and those folks started a wiki for the game, and so uh, folks stopped coming to our our Discord channel for that kind of information, but it's still on there. You can still check it out. There's still some great information in there, 
I have to say, I think the the speedrunning Discord at this point is probably the place to go. Or the wiki, there's some really great information in there. And in fact, I relied on those two sources very heavily for beating the game. I would not have finished this game without them. I can say that with 100% certainty. So I would not. Without the Discord channel you created, I wouldn't have finished it either. Yeah, we had several people say on that. Yeah. I'm sure there's people that can and that that is their driver. But kind of like you alluded to, most of the NES games from back in the day now that I'm playing, I'll go on GameFAQs for a little bit of information, a lot of information, look at a map because like, yeah, it's just sometimes it's just impossible or, you know, to me anyway. So yeah, or also sometimes you, you don't want to have to spend hours on it. Yeah. Like I think, you know, love those games when they first came out. You know, part of the reason I think the developers made it hard was to make the game last a little longer, right? There's only so much yeah. content you could fit into whatever many kilobytes at the time. But now you're like, no, I'll just look at the game. I'll just go through it. Like, let's just go. <laughs> See the whole <laughs> yeah. game and show me what you got. Yeah, I, I'm old. I got three kids. I don't have time for that. Exactly. <laughs> you know? I, so. As we get into it, I think this will be a reason of people's polarizing opinion of the game. Yeah. Is because at the release, there wasn't this game fact page or before i played page or mm-hmm. a nintendo power where you could go to when you got stuck yeah. and call up the nintendo power hotline yeah and at least the discord channel kind of filled that uh playground like oh give me your tips and your strategies i'm stuck that kind of filled the need and now if you start playing this game now you can get a map on the that wiki they have a map they've noted everything Fantastic. and that's kind of like Lizard, because I know, Nick, you were a big fan of it, and I was too, but I didn't play through it until there was somewhere for me to look to say, how do I get through this game? Because it would have been a similar boat if I tried playing it back when it first came out, I would have been deadlock. Yeah. yeah, this is really interesting that you're already bringing up Lizard, though, because I think there is <laughs> already, so already. much comparison. Between the game <laughs> There's a ton of parallel here. Okay, let's let's oh save that for later. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, I can say even with these resources, I have plenty of beef with this game. So <laughs> we can <laughs> we can get to that later. Um, yeah, where do you get this game? You can get it on, as I said, you can get it on Steam, Nintendo eShop, Xbox. The ROM has not been officially released. You can also get a physical copy of this game at RetroTainmentGames.com, where you can get that excellent limited edition shiny silver cartridge, or you can get the regular edition is a glow-in-the-dark green cartridge. Good quality stuff, I got to tell you. Packaging is great. The manual for this game is one of the best NES manuals I have ever seen. Really nice. Okay, guys, let's talk about what kind of game is this? Let's describe the game. Walkievania. <laughs> it's a... <laughs> <laughs> no straight away we're gonna oh, have gonna lots of fun. this, lots this of right here is gonna be a here. tough one yeah all right what i don't i don't know man this is what what kind of game is this is it a metroidvania no absolutely not it's not even close not even near a metroidvania. i think it i think it pretends to be a, it it has like that wolf in sheep's clothing like it walks up and it's like hi i'm a metroidvania and then it eats you alive oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> it, it, it gives you the like impression it makes you think when you first like look at it like oh this is I'm going to move around some screens and I'm going to like increase my inventory and I'm going to, you know, collect maybe some items. Yeah, that, that help stuff. me access new parts of this map. Yeah. No, yeah. totally, totally misleading. If you go into this game thinking that that's what it is, I think you're just, you're completely not going to have a good time because you're going to go in with a Metroidvania mindset and it's going to suck. It's going to suck real bad. <laughs> it's going to suck. Yes. <laughs> 
Yeah. I was I started to think of it as a puzzlevania. Mm-hmm. So Nathan Tolbert had the best comment on this that I mean it absolutely hit it on the head. So what he said is I want to I want to read this quote exactly. The way I describe it was this is him talking. A point and click puzzle adventure that's pretending to be a metroidvania. That is yeah, the take. I, I can I can agree with that. That is absolutely the take. And after after he said that it clicked with me because I was trying to think you know, I, at that point, I'd been playing this game for like a month, and I, I could not put my finger on what other game it reminded me of. And after he said that, I remembered it reminded me of Nescape. Of all the games that we've played, it reminded me the most of Nescape. Nescape is a game that I, I think I told you guys, I could not get past the title screen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the type of puzzle game that I am not good at. Interestingly, Nescape is also the kind of game that I had to beat with a group. I never would have beaten that game on my own. I never would have gotten close. But with a group, it was a lot more fun because I could I could use other people to help me out. No. Yeah. So it is a I think it is primarily a puzzle game. Yeah. Well, so for me, I played it first on my Mac on on, on like the, the emulator on the Mac. And I, I don't know if I want to just get this out of the way really quick. Uh, the Digital Millennial Copyright Act allows for consumers to lawfully keep backups of media they've purchased and then use in a different format. <laughs> So I've purchased Full Quiet on Steam. I've purchased this on the Switch, so I own two copies. But I didn't play it on either of those systems. I played it on my Mac in an emulator, and I played it on my analog pocket. And I'm not going to mention anything more about that except to say that I have used, for personal use, the game in different systems. Thank you. Thank you for that. Isn't this um, for business use? No, only for personal use. <laughs> I can't say for, for certain. We none of us have ever made a dollar off of this podcast. No. <laughs> I, I have not made any profit. I have not made a derivative work, and I have respected the DRM in that there's no additional content inside the game that I was not eligible to be able to view. So therefore, I am with acting within the bounds of the Digital Millennial Copyright Act. Thank Very you so nice. much. Very nice. Well, I I'm, I cannot wait to hear more about your questionably legal playthrough. <laughs> <laughs> so I played it for about 10 hours, right? And I was trying to get into it. And this is to your point about like figuring out that it's not a Metroidvania, right? So I knew that it was going to be like a slow burn. And Metroidvanias are not necessarily slow burn games. Like you can just keep making progress. Yes, right. And like the moment you get in and you start like, in, you know, getting into the game, you're like, you hit walls right away. Yes, like physical walls, but also like metaphorical walls. Like, what am I supposed to do here? This makes no sense. There's no very like, opaque. yeah, it's really not clear at the outset. Like, where am I even supposed to go? Right. And like, you could say the Metroid is kind of like that. You're exploring a, you know, Brinstar or whatever. But like, it's pretty linear. Like, there's a door you haven't opened. You got to find a way to open that door. Oh, there's a switch in another room. I go back and I open the door. It's like much more abstract than that. And so I kind of put it away and I didn't play it then. And then I got the analog pocket and I started playing it on that. And then I was like, oh, actually, yeah, it's point and click. It's it's actually more like Monkey Island or Beneath a Steel Sky. It's mm. more like oh, okay, yes, right. I'm I'm actually walking around this world and I'm interacting with things. And then there's real-time combat in between. It's like it's like a point and click game that has platforming and real-time combat elements, not a Metroidvania with puzzle. That's the way I think yeah, about it. Right. Honestly, the game that it makes me, that I think it's most similar to, is actually Abe's Odyssey for the PlayStation. Okay. Did you ever play that game? I did not. No, I haven't. Okay, so this is a game where your, your name's Abe, and you're this alien, and you have to save 99 other aliens of the same race of you. And you go onto screen, it's like screen by screen. It's literally like, it's not like scrolling, it's just like a screen. And then there's like puzzles of like, there's a guy over there in the corner, 
and you have to free him, but you can't reach him. So you have to like talk or otherwise use these kinds of weird commands on the PlayStation controller to encourage him to reach a safe zone on that screen. And so it's like that crossed with Monkey Island. With every one of these games, basically, the controls are minimal, with the exception of like keyboard shortcuts, but that's just like extensions to the UI. And then even the verbs that you use are kind of unique to each game, right? The way you play Abe's Odyssey, or the way you play Monkey Island or Beneath the Steel Sky, okay, they're all kind of like puzzly walk around games, but like each world is so unique that like the verb of like looking at something is kind of different in full quiet because you can get a telescope and that's looking at something in a different way. So like straight away, I feel like the world has to be understood in this very, there are verbs that you need to learn in order to even know how to interact. And that's like where I kind of start off from. It's like, okay, mm. that's really how I started to understand the game. Yeah. I like that you brought up Beneath the Steel Sky because one of the puzzles that I thought about in that game was there's kind of a notorious puzzle where you have to find a piece of gum that is stuck to a rail. Mm. And you have no idea that this is what you need to use to solve this puzzle. So you just walk back and forth aimlessly across this, this level that you're on until you finally get to this room where there's nothing going on and you literally have to pixel hunt. Oh, yeah. So what I did the first time I played this, I took my mouse and I just scrolled back and forth across the entire screen. And I did this in multiple screens trying to find, is there anything that I missed? Mm -hmm. And you do find at one point the cursor changes when you hit this rail. And there's a yeah. literally a freaking pixel, yeah. a pixel that you click on. And it's like, oh, this is a piece of gum stuck to the rail. You pull it off and then you can use that to go solve a puzzle. I thought of that puzzle playing this game. Yeah. Because many of the puzzles are extremely freaking opaque. You know, you might have a pixel that is uh, off to the side of the screen and you have no idea. It's, hey, is that little anomaly over there? Is that a puzzle I have to use at some point? Or, right. you know, you may have a puzzle piece, a lever that you have to pull on one side of the map that opens a door on a completely different side of the map that's several screens away or maybe even half the damn map away. So, yeah, I mean, the puzzles in this game are tough. Yeah. And they are not always intuitive. I really like that analogy. That is exactly a good analogy to this because in, in Beneath the Seal Sky, you, you get into this world where every little thing on the screen you have to pay attention to. Yes. That's what they're trying to teach you when you're playing that game. When you're playing Beneath the Seal Sky, you're thinking, okay, what's going on on the screen? There's like trees. Can I touch the tree? Can I like, you literally, it's kind of teaching you to pixel hunt on every screen. Yes, That's kind of what right. it wants you to do. And so in that world, pixel hunting is kind of like you're supposed to be pixel hunting. But if you don't feel like that's a fair thing, you're just not going to like the game. Another example of this, which I think is like exactly in that line of thinking, is what I call the Monkey Island rubber chicken problem. So in Monkey <laughs> Island, there's this zip line that you have to use. And you're like looking at this zip line, like it has to be something in my inventory. And you're like, you know, you're picking up like scissors. You're picking, like, do I swing across? You're picking it like, you know, is it a note that I need to read? Like, because, but Monkey Island is like an abstract, kind of almost surreal game. It's mm. like super silly. Yeah. And so you actually have to take out this rubber chicken and put it on top. And then the rubber chicken allows you to <laughs> zip line across, right? It's stupid. It's completely unfair to the player, right? Because you're like, why the fuck should I have known that it was a rubber fucking chicken? Like, that's ridiculous. But... If you're in Monkey Island, you know that it's a ridiculous game. Like you sword fight by making insults at people. Like that's literally how sword fighting mechanic works in Monkey Island. So like when you do it, you're like, oh yeah, of course it's the rubber fucking chicken because it's Monkey Island. That's the way this game works. That's the way the world of Monkey Island is. That like naturally 
I progress on a zip line by using a rubber chicken. And so like the guy who wrote, the guy who made Monkey Island actually wrote a blog post about this, Design Dilemmas, the guy Ron Gilbert, when he made a, a later game called Thimbleweed Park. And he talks about basically the design decision that went into that and whether he thought it was fair or not. And so I'll let you read his blog post. We'll put it in the show notes if you want. But like, it's super important to call those things out. Like, Nick, I would 100% agree with you. Like, if, you, if you're pixel hunting and you're like, why the fuck am I pixel hunting? The game has not necessarily clicked with you yet, you know? I'm trying to figure out where you're referring to that in full quiet about this pixel hunting abstract. The only area I can think of is the forest where you're pulling things or trying to solve a puzzle and it's you can't see the area that it's unlocking or you don't know what it's doing. The other area is I don't really feel that way. It felt like everything that you were doing was either locked to the particular screen you're on or you're looking through a scope. Well, for me, the part that I that I like clicked with real early on in the game is like you don't have to finish each section as you encounter it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's actually kind of like you, if it's a Metroidvania, you're kind of implied like, well, I'm in this first stage. I should finish this stage before I go to the next one. No, no, no. You're going to visit every stage, or maybe not. Some people like because I, I was looking through the Discord, I realized people it's quite nonlinear how people can finish different sections in different ways. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, if you're thinking that there's a set linear path to go through, you're probably going to get really frustrated because you're trying to bang your hammer on this particular nail and it's not going in. And instead, you should just kind of go on to the next area and like, yeah. you know figure it out later. But that feels wrong if you're not kind of in the mindset of that. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what I'm I'm thinking of is you know you Chris you mentioned uh, looking through the scope at things like I, you know there's a, a maybe you can see a lever but you have to be in a totally different part of the map to shoot that lever mm-hmm. you know to open that door or something or or like you know there's a another puzzle where you have to shoot a lever to open a door but you don't realize that you only have ninety seconds to get to that door and you have to clear through a whole field full of enemies Mm -hmm. to get to that and the only way that i knew that you had to get there in 90 seconds was by reading the discord you know just stuff like that where the game is it's just opaque it just it's it's not very straightforward with were you playing with no sound uh no i i had sound yeah because it's beeping and it has like a indicator on the screen of this exclamation point right yeah and i it took me a little while to realize exactly what that was trying to tell me Right. Okay. So this is fair as well, right? I think, yes, there are indicators. And it's actually even more explicit. In one of the transmissions, the two characters talking to each other say there are 90-second timers on right. the doors. Okay, yes, right. But, but like, I'll, I'll get but to that, that later. Is, isn't like, that in, like, a different part of the map? No, it's in a, it's in a totally, yeah, it's exactly. It's in, like, a totally <laughs> yeah, it's different like, area. It's like, in, it's like <laughs> yeah. in a totally different area. Like, yeah. So, like, what you brought up, Connor, is, like, kind of the point, like, you can solve this game in a whole bunch of different ways. There is, at least to me, it seems like the people making the game, there was an intended route. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really get that until, because I ended up playing twice, because I played through a year ago. And then Nick's like, oh, we're going to record soon. I'm like, oh, I got to replay this game. I don't remember at all. And I played (laughs) through it a completely different way. The first time I played I didn't end up unlocking the tower until way later. Mm. And I really didn't make use of the the ability to get to back to areas quickly. Yeah, the fast travel kind of. In the second playthrough, I ended up at the tower very early again. I'm like, well, this makes this a lot easier. Right. That's part of it. And then, yeah, there's like, even at this very start, there's a way to get to the cliffs right from the very first area. Yeah. And so yeah. if you do that, I mean, yeah, that kind of like blows open a whole bunch of the narrative in a different way. So I, I've decided that I've, I've just invented a term for this. Uh, I call it a frustrating alien romp 
through worlds while always lacking knowledge or a fart walk as it's kind of abbreviated to be. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Connor, did you like Lizard or was this your equal frustration with Lizard? I could not get into Lizard for for money. I just could not get my head around it. I want to talk about the parallels between these two games later after we've Mm -hmm. fully explored this game because I think that is very interesting because... So I, I can go ahead and say this. So yeah, Treed on our, our Discord said, this is one of his favorite games right next to Lizard. Yeah. Now, Connor, you loved this game and did not like Lizard. Exactly. I'm, I'm exactly the opposite. I was not a super big fan of this game, but Lizard is my favorite homebrew. Lizard, as we record this, there is a framed poster of the Lizard box art behind it is Deeper Talk. behind Rain. me on my wall. It is, Chris, <laughs> it's right next to your calendar. Oh, <laughs> nice. Nice. I forgot to mention that Chris publishes the NES homebrew calendar every year. Yep, yep. Didn't you take this job over from Kevin Hanley? Wasn't he the one making these calendars? He was doing it, and he was looking to, you know, move on to other things. He has other right. projects he's doing, and he asked me to kind of take it over. Equally, I'm looking for someone to take it over soon. <laughs> I think you asked me if I wanted to do it. I, I did. Was like, I do not. Yeah. So, yeah, anybody listening to this, if you would like to publish the NES homebrew calendar, you can uh, reach out to Chris, also known as Deadeye. And he will give you that job. Nope. You don't make any money from this. This is a, a a net like zero proposition. You know, you you spend all the time. It's really rewarding. This is not a business endeavor. This is a a labor of love. As our yes. disclaimer, <laughs> a labor of love. Yes, we're all about labors of love around here. Yeah. Well, you know, I think it's a great service for the community because you actually publish games on here that I did not know about. Yeah. So it's yeah, you actually have the publication dates for different games on this calendar. It's some of these I've never even heard of. Or like you'll have a, a featured month and it'll be a, a homebrew that I, I didn't know about yet. So <laughs> we've already kind of blown through what I, I, I was like, let's not spoil the gameplay. Oh, no. <laughs> it's, it's very hard. I, it's very to. hard to do. So just to, I just want to go down my list of, of describing this game. So there is a huge world map. OK, so if you're going to play this, either bring a notebook or, or find a map online. Yeah. Lots of hidden secrets, puzzles with high difficulty. We talked about that. Yeah. Just like really quickly for people, if they think like, oh, I've played games before and I haven't needed a map or whatever. Or like, how big can a NES game be? Like, no, you're wrong. Like, don't, yeah. don't hurt you're yourself. Wrong. You're wrong. Given that there is an in-game map, like an overall one that doesn't really show you a lot, but it'll show you like general locations. And then a more detailed one that's kind of block by block. You won't know how to what things link together, but you see a path and you see the areas you've been. So I'll give it that. Yeah. And I can say if if you're going to make a map, which I think you should do, even if you're going to use one online, I think it's a good good way to make a reference, you know, for yourself where you are. The end game map is based on like a grid. So it is if you get grid paper, it's very easy to translate that to a notebook. Mm-hmm. So I did appreciate that. The controls. Let's talk about the controls here. So it has a it has a very modern control Super screen. modern controls. I think, like the game, the controls are very ambitious for the console it's on. Totally agree. Perhaps too ambitious. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I want to hear you guys' take on this. So I. Oh yeah, completely. Now, Connor, you played this on, on the pocket. Unlock pocket mostly. Yeah. So did you? Let me see. I got one of these. Does that have the four buttons on it? It has it four buttons. Now, so there are okay, a couple yeah. of things. So the the way that the emulator on this works and the shoulder buttons and okay. the shoulder buttons. First of all, the so the, my mapping was uh, A B on the bottom two um, buttons on the right hand cluster. Yes. Uh, start was the right trigger, and then select was left trigger. Oh. Mm. Okay. That worked like a charm. That was 
awesome because I had dive mapped to start. Yeah. I started with dive, and that was one of the things that I was messing around with when I was playing on the Mac. I was like, oh, should it be like forward, forward, like as a dash or like some combo? There was another like combo, like almost like a, like a sure you can or something, kind of like quarter circle forward. <laughs> but no, start is the button. You need to have a dedicated button for the dive. Yeah, I agree. And it shouldn't be on the start button on the NES controller because that's way too far away. You're like stretching all the time. You're like using that button all oh, the time. I was then, fine with it because I played on an NES controller. And I played okay. it in the pocket, but I didn't change the control scheme. I just got used to it. But no. Did you start for dive? Yeah. Okay. So I feel like I feel like you could get used to it playing on an NES controller, but it was it's just like one more complication. I played this on Switch, so I had my modern control scheme, and I really it took me maybe like eight or ten hours into the game. But after that, I got to where I really kind of liked the controls. I thought they. It, there's a kind of rhythm you can get into when you're yes. going through the map if you understand the control scheme. Yes. And it's it feels good. But it did take me a long time to get to that point. Totally agree with that. They're a little awkward at first. Because well, like the yeah, the dive, for example, has this kind of like like strength light in the corner. So you can dive multiple times yes. in a row, but then you like basically your penalties you have to walk yeah, slower. Stamina. Yeah, there's a stamina meter. Exactly, a stamina kind of button or like light indicator. And so you have to kind of figure out how to like keep that fairly like up because you never really want to run out of stamina because then you're kind of boned but like yeah figuring out like the how long it takes to recharge and then using that to kind of like because some of these timed puzzles you want to be able to dash as fast as you can but you don't want to use up all your dash blah 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 yeah the game also works with on the nes if you have an adapter for the super nintendo controller you can actually plug that in to the NES and use it that way. We did see a couple of people have difficulty with that on the Discord. I don't know if yeah. like that's something we want to I saw that, in. right. Well, in theory, you should be able to do that. But There are boss fights. They are kind of backloaded at the end of the game. I, I think I can say that. The bosses are talked about in the manual. But yeah, you, uh, you don't encounter them until quite late in the game. Yeah. And I do want to mention the story here. So it has this kind of, I think it's kind of a sci-fi story. You're given enough to know that there are these uh, there's these dangerous creatures everywhere. They're not supposed to be there, and there's something about the radio towers that has to do with keeping them at bay. So your your job, I think, you can discern at the beginning of the game is to somehow reactivate these radio towers uh, for that purpose. I do just want to say here, I did not, I did not find the story to be much of a driver of the action. I thought that story was honestly, given the scope of the game, I thought the story was kind of uh, spar sparse. Yeah, I, I have I have the thoughts on that too, but like I can save that for later. Okay, all right. So, how do we play this game? I think we already talked about this. I played. Uh, I put in on Switch. I think I put in about thirty hours on my Switch, and then I put in some on my NES cartridge, probably like three, four, five hours. But uh, Connor, how'd you play it? You played yeah. it on the analog pocket. You talked about that. Yeah, I think on a previous episode, I talked, yeah, <laughs> on a previous episode, I think I said I put like 20 hours in on the Mac. I think I put it in less. I think I put it in like 10 hours on the Mac. And then I put in, yeah, 20, 25 hours on the on the pocket, which is a lot easier because you're carrying it with you and you can do sleep-wake. So that was actually not too difficult. But it does mean that like, and I think you've seen this before, your game time, your in-game time is worthless in terms of like how much time. It yeah, shows it's very, the game. yeah, I don't, I don't know how they time that, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously good for speed runs, but like, yeah. yes. And Chris yourself. Yeah. So I got, I backed it on the backer kit. So I had the physical edition. So I played that on a combination of, um, uh, the NT mini. And I also played on a twin family com just depending on what room of my house I was in. 
but on my second play, I played through the analog pocket. Nice. And then, so what was your mapping on the pocket? You had the start button as like the normal start button. Yeah, the- yeah. I didn't. Ch- I didn't even know you could change that. Like you know, I just kept it what it is. It probably would have been better to remap it because on the pocket, the select and start. It makes sense as a device, but as an experience, like it, it in this type of game where you're going to be pressing it often, kind of in the middle of action, it's very far away from the rest of the buttons. Yeah. Then I kind of have to ask, did you notice as well, and maybe you have a different setup on your analog um, pocket, mm-hmm. there's four buttons in the right button cluster, and there's A and B mapped to mm-hmm. the bottom ones. The top two, for me, were automatically mapped to auto fire. Of those two buttons. Oh, no, I, mm. I don't think I noticed that, but I played a combination of handheld and on the dock. And on the dock, when I was playing a second time, I, I have like a, a, bu- a controller like the um, uh, for the turbo, the turbo graphics one. Oh, yeah. And wow, did that make uh, fighting those fungal balls very easy with the handgun? Oh, <laughs> my God. I bet it did. Yeah, well, those things are a pain in the ass. Nick's slowly understanding how Connor happens to enjoy parts of the game. Yeah, right. Speaking of which, did either of you guys use save states with your setups? No. Connor? Uh, Oh, yeah. Now, okay, I'll I'll be honest about this. Because I sent Nick a little meme when I first finished, and I was like, just call me 007, you know? 0% static, zero things left to do, (laughs) 700 save states. uh, no, honestly, I didn't. I didn't actually use save states that much, especially in the mid game. Okay, I think at the very start, I was like really apprehensive when I was like exploring the world and like what mm-hmm. the f- what's going on here. And then the bosses were just trash for me. I was I never would have beaten these bosses because yeah. um, I'm just not that kind of guy. I'm not a platform like you know timing jumps kind of guy. It just wouldn't have worked for me. So I needed to use the, the save states. I will say that. Um, but no, honestly, I, I I think I used like honestly. Like for the length of this game, I think I used maybe fifty save states total, which sounds mm-hmm. like a lot, but then like that's like maybe once every twenty minutes. So like you know that's kind of how often you wish you were saving the game. And then just really briefly on that, because I was saving like that pretty much whenever, it reinforced the point and click type of thing for me. Because games like Monkey Island, Beneath the Sea Sky, you can just save whenever. Right. That's actually how those games work. And so that actually further reinforced for me that this is a point and click game that has you know, platform and real-time action elements, not a Metroidvania that has puzzle elements. Well, as somebody who did not play it with save states, I have to say, so the game has save points, but they are, in some cases, difficult to access. So you do have to kind of fight your way to the save area. So that that is actually a huge point of tension, especially in the early game, when you're first exploring the map, because you may not even know where to go to save. And there is a timer so during most of the game, you have to get back to a cabin before 2 a.m. And if you don't, this monster appears out of nowhere and kills you. And, and that's it. Game yeah. over. That's it. Game over. Yeah. And so, you you know, there were times where I put in about 20 minutes just exploring the game, just yeah. trying to go through. And I could not get to a safe spot. And the monster showed up and killed me. You know, it's it's really damned frustrating. Yeah. Because it actually impedes you wanting to explore. That's one of the things it, that, like, that is, and, yes, that is the effect that it had on me. I don't know how intentional that is, but it meant that the act of exploring the world, which I think is pretty important and I was really excited to do, it kind of penalizes you for that because you don't really know how long it's going to take to backtrack in some circumstances, which sounds kind of weird, but like right. it can sometimes be quite hard to get, like moving backwards sometimes it's harder than moving forwards in some parts of the game. 
Yeah, well, especially if enemies are respawning and, yep. you know, you walk back into a screen and, oh my God, there's that fungal mm. wall again. He's <laughs> <laughs> a million foot tall. Oh no. Yeah, besides finding the next area, it's like you also have to unlock the camp. So yes. it's not a hard thing to do, but like you need a few, like the process, you need a fuse to unlock the circuit, to unlock the camp. So when you go to the next area, you may not have a fuse. So then you have to search for a fuse and then you're getting to the end of that, that cycle. So it can yeah. be a frustration. Oh no, even worse than that, because you'll see the flag on your map. That's like yeah. identified for you. And you think, oh, I just got to get to that flag. Then I'll be okay. You get to the flag, door's locked. And you're like, okay, I've got like four hours in game, which is like 10 minutes left. I have to find the fuse. I have to find where I put it in. I have to go and explore mm-hmm. further. And yeah. you're like, I'm just going to go back. I'm just going to go back home. Yeah. Yeah. The game rarely makes anything easy. I, I mean, in, in fact, it often makes things more difficult, I think, than it needs to. But uh, yeah. Uh, Chris, we, we got a section here uh, with notes did you did you maybe just want to talk about some stuff i i think folks who have listened to the podcast up to this point who have not played this game but who want to would you maybe like to talk about some stuff that you know you think that folks should know yeah that isn't outlined in the instruction book and that maybe would make their playthrough a little bit more enjoyable or make the game a little more accessible yeah i think there's a kind of like this gap between not having say a Nintendo power or something. I think there's a little tidbits that are probably pretty obvious, you know, at least after you first play through, but like when you're playing it in the game, sometimes you need a little reminder or things are not so clear. So first off, you, you got to read the manual a few times, you know, there's things in there that's buried in there. And like, you think you do a little precursor. Oh, I got enough from this, but you should kind of check back with it. Yes. There's a couple of things that are like not really clear or not apparent. So when you get these fuses, you, you spend the fuses, but it's not a, you're not losing it. So every time you unlock something with a fuse, it's not like you have to use the fuse, keep using the fuse. So don't be afraid to use your fuse to, you know, unlock the circuit and everything like that. There's control scheme things. Um, when you're at, nearing the end of your, your gun shooting, instead of waiting for the end, cause there's a reload time, you can tap up twice to reload. You can tap down twice to kind of anchor yourself that seems to help and uh you should kind of with the mapping thing you should probably write down coordinates of where you picked up things yes yeah, that's a good, good advice that's exactly what i did it's not really for you but it's for when you're talking to other people because some people would be like where did you get that and you're like oh it was in the forest somewhere at least if you write down the coordinates you can either help someone out or you can figure out if you got everything. Yeah, I actually, I would go even further and say, I actually completely forget where I got things. I was, yeah. I was so focused on just like yeah. getting to the next thing. So I would literally go back to an area and be like, this looks important. What? Why is there nothing here? Oh, oh yeah, I picked it up. Oh, right, yeah, I picked that up like 20 minutes ago. Yeah. Like I literally wrote down exactly things that I picked up. And there's just like a lot of stuff that you could be writing, like the Morse code and stuff. Yeah. I think just having a notebook is like really, really crucial. The more you write down, the more mm-hmm. you're going to enjoy, I think, actually out of this game. Yeah. And it's it's good for your second playthrough too. When I play through again, I can look back at things and be like, mm, yeah, I bet. Because I can remember some of my frustration points of the game and be like, oh man, do I really want to decode this? All right, let me look back at my notes because like I don't really want to do this whole decoding thing about this thing, this color equals that color. Yeah, I know exactly which one you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is like fuses and ropes are really important in the game. And there's a finite number of them up to a point. Yes. It's not that you will oh. like 
fuses especially lock yourself out of the game but like you may need to create more frustration for yourself so you got to really conserve them in the beginning of the game so every camp you get to it has a series of things that you can unlock in it like reloading this ammo reloading that ammo you don't need to do that at every camp every time you can wait till the end so like probably save your fuses and pick back up ropes that you're not needing when you leave the area that's probably for the best you were talking about don't be afraid to use your fuses and i i just wanted to say like you know don't be afraid to use your fuses on stuff that helps you advance through the game like on yeah the panels the electrical panels that you can hack uh go ahead and use it on that kind of stuff but you know as far as like reloading uh the the ammunition and stuff at the at the the save camps I wouldn't put the fuses into that unless you feel like you absolutely need it yeah, because no. you will get to points where you're like, oh, damn it. I need a fuse. You yeah. know, if you're fighting uh, to get to a spot, you know, and you've been playing for 10, 15 minutes and suddenly you realize you need a fuse to advance and you don't have a fuse. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's very, very frustrating. If you're in an area and you need the use dynamite for a lot of things. Yeah. Unlock the dynamite or you're in an area and you're going to be right. shooting your sniper rifle a lot. Yeah, unlock the the sniper reloading, but you don't need to unlock sniper reloading on every camp your first time there. Yeah. So this is all stuff that, like, to be fair, I think these are super, super valuable things to mention to somebody coming through it the first time. I think one of the challenges with this game is, is that information that you need to have to enjoy the game before you start. So for me, obviously, I didn't have this information. We had to, we all, well, all three of us had to figure out all this information as we played it. Does what Chris just described sound like, oh, that sounds like fun to go and discover that for myself? Or does it sound like, god damn, it wouldn't tell you what to fucking do with a fuse? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, this game is, this is, this is something I'm going to hammer home. This yeah. game is not for everybody. Oh, totally. Okay? <laughs> I can and, totally agree with that. You know, you're talking about, you, you know, Connor, you just said you should really, if you think you should write it down, you should write it down. I'm telling you what, I hate playing games that way. Yeah. And I, I found this game so frustrating because I never knew what information was important and what wasn't. I was constantly writing stuff down. <laughs> we're we're about to get into the next section here, so I, I want to stop myself. Yeah, but the, the, I just want to say, I'll, uh, you you finish, then I'll say. Go on. Yeah, I just want to say this is this is about the point where we're going to tell people to jump off if you if you have not played the game yet and you want to. You should know by this point if this sounds like something you want to play. Yes, because there's some people out there who are like, oh boy, this is not. This is this one is not going to be for me, and there's other people who are going to be like salivating. They can't wait to get their hands on this thing. So, I, I think you should probably know by this point if you're yeah. who you are. Before you kind of jump in, one thing I want to say is like I really appreciate, even if I don't like the game, games that take this risk in. Oh, completely. Oh, yes. You like absolutely. I'm going to do this game that's peop, some people are going to love, but is going to be you know, not liked by other people rather than making a game that's like this safe bet and like, oh, this will appeal to everyone. I'd rather these extremes where someone's going to absolutely love this game. And that's great. Oh, completely. I mean, I did not like Lizard. I am so glad that games like Lizard get made. I think that's yeah. super important. But like the idea that like this game is not for everyone. I mean, the point and click genre, which I am pretty much a fan of, is not for everybody. Like there are like plenty True. of people who are just like those games are stupid. I would never play those <laughs> games, and that's totally fair. But like that's an entire genre of games, so I don't think it's even unfair to say that this is a you know game that people will love and hate. There are totally different like categories of games that people feel that way about. So I don't think that's a, a negative per se. 
Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. If even if this is a game that you think you're not going to be um, a fan of, I think it's worth checking out because mm-hmm. I think just in terms of NES homebrew, it is kind of a monumental achievement. I agree. It is uh, the scope of this game is unbelievable. It is just an incredibly ambitious game. Insane. And the fact that they were able to pull this off as well as they they did is just really something else. It feels so much bigger than it is. You know, I said this about the machine when we play that. It's it just feels vast. It feels much bigger, like something you could not fit inside of a Game Boy cartridge. That kind of this game kind of has that feeling as well. Yeah. You know, when you think of a huge NES game, you think of like RPGs, right? This is not an RPG. It's no. it's a it's a platforming adventure puzzle game and it's it just feels vast. It's amazing what they were able to do here. So, yeah. All right, folks, if you're listening, this would be the point to jump out if you have not played this game yet and you you want to check it out and you don't want us to spoil it any further, we'll see you on the next episode. We'll see you in the Talk next episode. Us. Come back, go go play the game and come back to us later uh, next year when you're done with it. All right, guys, what works about this game? What do you like? What's your what's your I'm gonna, what's I'm your gonna high points? In. I'm going to jump straight points. in. I'm going to jump straight in on something we can all agree on. Yes, the graphics in this game are phenomenal. This They're is very good. Yeah. such a good graphical. Incredibly like, impressive. Yes. I could not believe at so many times. And yes, the, the analog pocket screen is very you know, fancy and all the rest. It is so good looking. Like my jaw drops. Like there is a cutscene in the game where you take a boat to an island and my jaw dropped. I was like, I cannot believe I am watching a like legit cutscene. And and really enjoying it really like getting into the feeling of the character that's going across this oh you know this lake or whatever it is to get to an island i feel like i'm going on a journey not a single word of dialogue not a single like you know thing at the bottom yeah that's true right explaining it there's no exposition it's just this guy on a boat it's amazing how they were able to do that like that's just like cinematic yeah there's a whole bunch of besides the looking good a whole lot of tricks in it with like fake parallaxing and you going behind things yeah extremely impressive there's no flickering i don't remember any flickering anything no like that. i don't think so right besides the graphics you're just drawn into this with its sound and its its music and its environment and you're just kind of sucked into it yep. and the only other this might not be agreed upon but the only other homebrew where i can kind of say that is the incident where Graphically, it's not an overly impressive game, but it's something about its music and its eeriness and everything where I'm equally kind of sucked into it. Yeah, that game, that's another game with great atmosphere. I think the music and mm-hmm. the graphics, something about that just works really well. Where, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, you think of a, you wouldn't think of like a Sokoban block pushing game to have atmosphere, but that one really does. Yeah, very impressive. Yeah. And in a similar way, a like very minimal amount of information that's provided. Yeah. And it's almost like because there's so little your mind actually fills in so many of the gaps there and it kind of makes it spooky in its own little way. Yeah. Like when you start playing full quiet, there is no music. It's quiet. Mm. You hear like some little chirping in the background or whatever, but it's like eerie when you start and you're like, Oh, wh- where am I? What, 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 what's going on here? Like what's, what's the point? Um, and yeah, you kind of have to start painting out this picture for yourself of the game. So yeah, there's this real atmosphere from the moment you step in that like you have to fill in the gaps in your head. You're like, who is this guy I'm playing as? Who is you know what's his motivation? Like, there's this like thing about he he's looking for this guy Pop. Is this other you know maybe a kid involved? What's happening? 
So yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. It like it, it kind of just sets the scene, paints the picture for you really well. Yeah. And you know, you mentioned uh Chris, you mentioned the parallax scrolling, and that's yeah. kind of a retrotainment signature move. They I know they got a lot of that in the haunted Halloween games, but they pull it off so freaking well. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. When I the first time I was walking through the fields and you have that parallax and you can see in the background and you realize the little cabin you're looking at is where you started the game. Yeah. And it's part of the background elements. You know, the map makes sense. And yeah. it the map is fascinating because it has this uh, north, south, east, west thing going on where, you know, it's directional. And so the map is is kind of like a 3D space, even though it's a 2D game. And I think it does a fantastic job of communicating that sense where, you know, when I first realized what the game was trying to do, I was like, oh, my God, this is, you know, this is going to be very disorienting. I, I don't know about this. I don't know if this is going to work. But I got used to it almost immediately. Mm-hmm. And once you realize how the directions relate to the map, it works phenomenally well. Totally agree. Your, your just sense of place in this game, it's it's amazing how they were able to pull that off. Yeah, because when a game is this big, it's I mean, it, it would be very easy to make this game and you have no idea where you are on the map. Like oh, just yeah. Completely. Am I, am I making? Am, am I going in the direction I want to go in? The cardinal direction stuff works really, really well. Um, I would say that the altitude thing, which I really only figured out in kind of later in the game. Okay. That's like a little bit less clear, but then you kind of get into it and then you realize, okay, there's like, especially for the cliffs, because it's basically mm-hmm. like yeah. one screen that you're just going up and down. And they do give a map to that in the manual, which I think is a very fair accommodation because if you're yeah. just trying to figure out what altitude should I get to, that is a little bit more tricky. Yeah. But yeah, I completely agree with the, the cardinal direction stuff. That was actually my understanding was that included map was being pushed for during beta testing where I think Nathan Tolbert was pushing for them to include that kind of slip in map for the cliffs in there. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah. And to be clear, if you have the physical cartridge, it is a an actual insert to the yeah. manual. It is a separate piece of paper that looks like a hand-drawn map of these cliffs. And the cliffs are a maze space, of course, and you it's it's difficult to get through. But if you have that map, it's it's a good hint. I think to to yeah. help you out a little. It's, bit. it's not sufficient, but it's necessary. It's not yet, but it will get you. I think you know what it helped me was just knowing what I was in for. Yeah, you know when I got to that area. I think Connor, you brought up that cutscene between when you're on the boat and everything, mm-hmm. and we kind of touched upon this earlier. But this story, to me, I like a story that's kind of out of the way. You don't. You could just get into the game and play and everything. And but one of the things that kind of impressed me was, and I don't know if another game has done this, was kind of the dream sequence where you're kind of asleep and you're getting information while you're dreaming. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's very simple where it's kind of scrolling text and you're walking long through it. But you literally walk past the text. Yeah, I like that. That was cool. You walk it and I'm like thinking about my own dreams and I'm like, you know, they're kind of sometimes very focused in retrospect when I'm looking at it and it's missing a lot of information that would have been in your waking life. And your dream is kind of like it's all it's fine-tuning to just what it's trying to tell you or what you're thinking about. And I found that really impressive in the game that it kind of made that connection. Yeah. There's there's then it feeds into the whole like other world, like dream world where these aliens are coming from, and you're like, as you sleep, you kind of like manage to communicate with them. It's I think that's a really nice touch that like sleep is a character in the game, you know? Yeah. Like that's an interesting way of putting it. <laughs> kind of, yeah, right aliens i like that i was trying to figure that that aspect of the story out 
And I, yeah, aliens. All right. You got your good aliens and then you got your bad kind of beasties coming through the rift or whatever. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a bit more about the story later. Story, I think you yeah. can go in a yeah, lot yeah. of different directions about. But yeah, that's that's my interpretation of that's fair of where they are. Yeah, atmosphere. You, you guys mentioned atmosphere. I, I felt like this game got very close to the sense of the original Metroid because that game is spooky. Yeah. You know, and I think like when I was a kid, I Metroid was a game that fascinated me because the original NES Metroid is kind of scary. It's kind of a scary game. If you, uh, you know, it's very dark mm-hmm. and very moody. The music is very moody and um, it can be kind of intimidating because you you know you get into an area you're not supposed to be in yet and the, yeah. the monsters are very tough and as a kid i actually found it to be a very spooky kind of game this game was kind of evocative of that for me totally because it's you know it, it really does feel spooky you know especially like the first time i got into the swamp i was like oh that's exactly God. what i was about to say the swamp yeah. and the forest are like yeah, you definitely forest. get that vibe of like am i supposed to be here mm. yeah and that's it it's like if you think it's like a Metroidvania in like a plain sense, you're like, oh, I should just push ahead. I should just keep going. You're going to like die multiple times and get really frustrated. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. But if you pull back and you're like, okay, maybe I should like go another way. And then you maybe get to the tower before you even encounter like serious resistance in the swamp. You're like, oh, what what the hell happened here? Like, why did I end up in this area? Because yeah, that is an area that's like super tough. And the forest for me was the toughest area. I found it extremely difficult to make progress in the forest. I, I think a lot of people jumped out at the forest. Yeah. yeah. The forest <laughs> I didn't find difficult as an enemy-wise, but it is the most maze-like oh, yeah. where you're doing these uh, puzzles yeah. that maybe don't make sense to you, and you're like, this this space is just massive. How am I even keeping yeah. track of where I am? And I want to get to this, this screen, but it's locked off, and i got to be up high, and how do I get there? Yeah. It, it is the most challenging as a, a leveled designed to get through totally agree with that. i think in some ways it's more of a maze than the cliffs yeah like the cliffs are more like a like a conventional maze in a video game whereas the forest is it just kind of like hits you like a truck like oh my god what am i doing here yeah i knew the moment i went into the forest i'm like this is gonna be the last area i finish like i was just really clear with myself like this is not going to be like like whatever progression i'm in this is the hardest one to finish and it, it was like i did there was mm-hmm. plenty in that that i didn't finish until like, I think that was the last bit of static I cleared. Yeah, and luck, luckily you don't – that's an area that, that's not forcing you to be early on or even in the middle. You could do that, I think, pretty much last if you wanted yeah. to. Yeah, that's what I did. So, yeah. Well, I used a map. So, I got through that section earlier. <laughs> I did – so, at a certain point in the game – I was just like, there's no freaking way that I'm going to beat this, making my own map and trying to find my own way through this. And, you know, I would I would play until I got stuck and then I would go on the Discord. And what happened is I got stuck so often. Mm. I was like, look, I'm not going to beat this game for the podcast unless I just get a walkthrough, basically. Right. And uh, that is the point at which back in the day I, I would have gone on GameFAQs and, you know, got my walkthrough or whatever. What I did is I went into the Discord and I want to give a shout out at this point to Sir Cappy in the speedrunning discord has a fantastic map which i think is now the map on the wiki with all the spoilers and everything else on it it is extremely informative that map does not tell you everything that you need to get through the game it doesn't like break out the cliffs or anything like that but it will get you like 80 percent of the way there extremely high resolution too yes very yeah it's huge you know i honestly like if the speedrunners in there who have put all this stuff on the wiki i really encourage you guys to go to GameFAQs and upload that stuff 
<laughs> I think, you I know, think Game FAQ is now owned by some other company, and there's like questionable it is. copyright of like who. I get it. I understand if people are hesitant to do that. There is an entry for Full Quiet on GameFAQs, and it has nothing on it. So, my point of view is, I if if people are comfortable doing that, I, I think a lot of folks who play retro games might come across this one, and they may not know there's a wiki. Where are they going to go? They're going to go to GameFAQs. Yeah. Okay, because yeah. that's where we're all old guys. That's what we do. We go to game fest. At least open up someone open up on the on the board of the game, just saying, "Hey, just so you know, <laughs> yeah. go to this site to get all your info." At least yeah, do that. Yeah, maybe I maybe I'll put that post up there. Yeah, I I know I uh, yeah. I put some fake like news. So go to this place instead. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Go find the Discord because I mean that's the problem with Discord to me is that they're these little walled gardens. You know, yeah. and if you're not a member of the Discord, you may not know that there's all this fantastic information on there. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Sir Cappy, thank you so much. You are the reason I finished this game. I would, <laughs> I would not have finished this game without that map. So thanks, dude. Last but, thing I was going to say about the graphics, just is that each area is so distinct. Yeah. Like, you definitely yeah. know when you're in a particular area. And I thought that was like really interesting too. Just the way they use palettes. Yeah. Right. Just oh, like, God. Just, the way that they use palettes in this game is masterful. Really. So master, it really is, and it's just. Well, like, we didn't even talk about how the the time of day changes. Yeah, yeah. The time like because every area you're in, not only is it very recognizable, but the actual shades of the colors change every four in-game hours, which is like every five minutes. Yeah, and you get this feeling when like it changes from one color to the other, like oh, oh, we're getting later. Oh no, I gotta like move now. I gotta like do something. What time is it? You check your time. You're like, oh, where are we? <laughs> right. The signaling of the game itself, like the, the world that you're in can tell you so much information if you're like able to pick it up. Yeah. I think that's incredible that they, the graphics are like a feature in so many ways. It's, I, I, I love it. I really, really yeah. love it. Extremely yeah. impressive. I, I'm trying to think of other NES games that had a, as impressive a day night cycle. And I don't think they pulled it off. Like it has one and like, Oh, I could tell when it's getting late, but not this type of progression. Yeah. yeah right. And I, you say that, I, I immediately thought of Castlevania 2, yeah. which is a game that has some... It, I thought of that a little bit while playing this game, just in terms of how it has this really sprawling kind of world. But yeah, the day-night cycle, and also the very opaque puzzles. But <laughs> mm -hmm. Since I mentioned that, another couple of games that I thought about while playing this, the only other game that I've seen try to do that north-south, east-west thing was Rambo on the NES, which is not a very well-known game. But it did have this this kind of aspect to it where you could um, you could go north or south and you would be in a different area, practically. That did not pull it off well at all. And that's what I was worried was going to happen when this with this game, mm. was that it was going to have the Rambo problem. But uh, this one did it masterfully. Do we have anything else we want to go I mean, on about? The, for a star. Oh, I God, we didn't talk about the music. The yeah. music. Oh, my God. Amazing. Yeah, Human Thomas, he does a lot of music on Homebrews. Always extremely impressive. Yeah, yeah. He's got a pretty good uh, library of credits. Can you think of some games that he's done? So I'm looking at the Human Thomas, his band camp, and he's done the music, at least on here. And I, he's done a lot more, but he did it for Haunted Halloween 85, 86, Scramble for NES. Yeah. Unicorn, which is still in development. Um, it's a Kahan game. Beyond the Pins. Yep. That's all he has is Bandcamp, but that's obviously up there so you can listen to it. He, he's done a ton of other games. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
So did he do the music and the kind of like, let's call it like the soundscape of like all the enemies and all the sounds they make and stuff like that? Or Let me he- see in here. It says that he did lead audio, level design, concept mm-hmm. design. Okay, so he might have been involved in like making the actual kind of like the soundscape, right? Of like the particular mm-hmm. samples, like not actual samples, but just like the way that they crafted specific noises from the four channel NES sound chip. Yeah. Like, for example, birds. Like, what sound is a bird going to make? That's not a soundtrack, but it's really in- integral, not only to like the atmosphere, like we were talking about, but there's specific puzzles that you need to be able to very clearly hear what a bird is singing. So, whoever decided what that bird sounded like had to be like, okay, you need to be able to really clearly hear this, but also it has to fit the background and fit the atmosphere. That is like really, really awesome that they did that. So yeah, like there's a bunch of stuff there that like is sound oriented that makes the game work. That's not just soundtrack. I'm even thinking of like when you're in a cave and it just like has that like bleep, bloop, bleep, bloop kind of like noise. It all just adds to the, to the experience of the game and it's done in this way that kind of brings everything together really really nicely yeah well i i think the one other thing that i have in the positive but i think there'll be some disagreement about or some talk about it being maybe what doesn't work is i think the game has a clear set of goals or missions in it and it's that ticks thing about Tune the radio, import Morris, color code, key, pad code, sync the signal. That's like every area you have to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when I came across that, I thought it was a a revelation. I was like, oh, my God, look at that. There's the list. It tells you what to do. Unfortunately, you don't get that list until like a good 10, 12 hours into the game. (laughs) And that's assuming you took that particular path. Yeah. But yes, it uh yeah, it it tells you all the stuff to do. Now the thing is it doesn't tell you how to do all those things. Yep. Right. So it's like, you know, it says colors code. Like it took me forever to figure out what the hell the that colors, was talking about. The colors are just like the hardest part of the puzzles. Like yeah. sure. I, honestly, yeah. And this comes from I, I solved all these puzzles myself. So I didn't look up any of these answers. Oh, of course you did. Like, yeah. <laughs> look at you, smarty pants. <laughs> I just mean that it's like it's possible to do. Like I'm not saying if these are it's impossible to do. It's it's these are impossible colors, <laughs> but like the colors is the toughest part for sure. Like no, even doubt. if you're talking to someone about colors, like I had this kind of problem because I'd be playing off a of CRT using uh, whatever console. The colors look different than someone else. Someone's playing on this, and we're they're like, oh, it's yellow, or purple, and I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I saw that in the Discord. Brian Rigsby, who's uh, who's published several. Uh, Really good retro game books. He made one about maps that looks super cool. I have his book about Rygar. It's excellent. But uh, he was saying in our Discord, he was playing this game. He had a really hard time with the uh, colors code because he was playing on a nine-inch CRT. And so yeah. he could not, you know, at that resolution, he really there's, couldn't see the difference. Between there's a whole colors. bunch of problems that are going to come up with that. Like, I mean, there's yeah. so many stuff on this. There's things on the screen that are like a few pixels big. Yes, And right. so I'll we'll get into that again. But like... The ticks thing, I think it's helpful, but it's like, for me, it's really just, when I got that information, I'd already figured that out. Because you're a smarty pants con. No, because it's like, it's the first thing you do. The first area you're in. Yeah. The, whatever it's called, the, not the crags, the one before it. The, the, the plateau. plateau. Plateau, right? You do those five things. Yep. 
it gives you those five things right away, says, congratulations, you've completed all the static in this area, that's it. Oh, you do not have to. You can absolutely just jump forward yeah. to the crags and never get back to the, the plateau until like, the end game. Okay, so that's, <laughs> this is it. This is this is where like, that's I, what I felt did. it was kind of spoon-feeding me at the start to say, you should get all of these little things first. Because it's like right next to each other. It's like there's like the, there's the hut, and then there's the place where you're like looking for the color code, and you're inputting on the the mid thing or whatever it is. And so I'm like, okay, I'll just go back and forth, back and forth. Okay, I'm done. Yeah, cool. So like that was my experience of my first playthrough. I was like, all right, cool. Tick the box. It's about the ticks. Like I, I did not that. get any of that. No. I think the only thing I did was the 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 first Morse code. I think yeah, I did the t- I tuned the radio. And then sure. I progress to the crags, and you can't go back. No, you can't go back. That That's a big, big thing about the game. That's always when I gave up on the Mac. I was playing it on the Mac, and I was like, I can't go back. Maybe I'll fuck this up. Oh, forget it. I'm just not going to play it for a while. And so I figured I'd have to start over again anyway. And then when I was playing on the pocket, I was like, eh, let's see how much further I can get. And I was like, oh, no, you can actually keep going here. Oh, right. Okay. But I finished Plateau first. Then I went to crags. And then, so by the time I was in Crags, I was like, okay, so that's the thing to do. But that's a different playthrough, right? That's a completely different playthrough. Yeah. yeah. Well, I didn't figure out any of that shit. I got to the uh, the signal sync. I tell you what, I got about halfway through the game before I figured out how to do the signal sync. That's hard. But it's actually, like, once you know how to do it, it's super easy. Oh, sure. But I had it's no like... idea what I was supposed to, like, signal sync. I don't get it. Maybe that's something I, I have to get through the game and I'll find something that will tell me how to do that. I didn't realize it's right there on the goddamn radio, you know, and there's the thing is, is that in, you go to the instruction book, the instruction book doesn't tell you how to signal sync. You just have to kind of figure it out. They looking at the radio. So it tells you that, like, you have to phase cancel waveforms and you have to allow syncing through waveform recalibration. It, what the fuck things, does that mean? Well, I mean, you have to move <laughs> the fucking waves around. You have yeah, to well, I don't know. Yeah, you got to push the buttons. It doesn't I tell you. You got to push the buttons. The wave fucking wave. Like, it doesn't tell you that. Yeah, but what else is it? It's not telling you to sit there and watch them like there's some kind of movie, dude. Come on. Well, if, it, if it's in the instruction book, it's like, here's how you sync the push the B button to change your no. way. Or start, push start to like change the waveform or something. It's it's like, well, it's not in the goddamn manual. No, you're, you're left in this world to discover what it means. All right, all right, right. So we are at the point in the podcast where we talk about the things that maybe don't work for us so much about this game. <laughs> I have a few things that I want to fucking say. All right. <laughs> Kick back I, here, Chris, because this right. is going to be a long one. <laughs> All right. So I I like this game a lot in terms of, okay, I like this game a lot in theory. Let me put it that way. Okay. As I have said, it does many things very well. I have made a lot of very flowery compliments about this game, and I believe every single one of them. I think people should check this game out if you're a fan of NES Homebrew, because it is a monumental achievement. It is really something amazing. Okay. With that said, I put what, 35 hours into this game, okay? <laughs> I did not enjoy this game. I did not have fun with the game. Uh, I, I'm trying to think of the most <sighs> reasonable way that I can put this, is that some games are just not meant for some people, okay? And that's okay. The puzzles in this game, once I realized that this game was a puzzle game, I, I realized that this that this game was not going to be for me. Mm-hmm. Because some puzzle games I like, you know, you think about a game like Witch and Wiz or The Incident, where you have everything that you need to solve the puzzle is right there on the screen, mm-hmm. okay? It's there, and that's it. You're, you know, I'm a visual thinker. I see it. It's all in front of me. I, I can look at this, and I can figure out how to solve the puzzle. With this game, it's like, you know, you guys are talking about, you got to stop and write down every single thing that you're doing. You might have 
a, a lever on this side of the map that you have to shoot from this side of the map or something like that. And it, you know, the stuff is, is hidden. It's like, you know, the guy, the little guy with the lures, it's like, you know, and you got to get the radio parts that way. How, it's how, do, how do you figure that out? That's amazing. I don't even get it. <laughs> how you would figure that out. You know what that is? That's data. That's data. That's accumulating all this data and processing it. That's you, Connor. You're a programmer brain guy. You know, we've talked about this before. You're, you like you can do that kind of shit. Like for me, I it's enjoy like that kind of, more than just doing it. I, I, you I enjoy it. it. That that you enjoy it. I can't stand it. I can't fucking stand it. Yeah. I jumped on the speedrunning Discord and it, I didn't realize this was the programmer. Damian Eric asked me. Yeah. You know, I said this game was kicking my ass, and he said, "What are you having trouble with?" And I joked and I said, my ADHD, <laughs> you know, which is kind of like, honestly, not really a joke. Like, I don't like games like this because I can't fucking pay attention to what the fuck I'm doing. You know, I can't, sure. I can't keep all this information in my head. I don't, I don't want to, it's not enjoyable for me. It's work. This game felt like work, right? 30 hours. I procrastinated on this game so fucking hard. I have never procrastinated. I'm playing a fucking video game. All right. But this game felt like work. It felt like having a part-time job over the last two months that I did not particularly enjoy. I got so much work done at my actual job because, you know, I went to put my kids to bed. It'd be like 9 PM. Right. And be like, all right, I got a couple hours. I can, I can knock out a little bit more of full quiet. And I'd sit there and I'd stare at my switch and be like, or I could get started on some shit I got to do for work tomorrow. Hey, you know what? And I, it was more enjoyable for me to do my actual job than to play this fucking game. Okay. So that's what I mean. And I'm, I want to go into why, okay? I, I want to go into why. But well, this is before, just... before you go into why, I want to just, I want to share that this is a 100% valid opinion because there are precision platform jumping games and games where you have to like absolutely like nail specific parts of the level in terms of like, like the, honestly, the boss fights in this game. Oh yeah, yeah. I did not enjoy the boss fights. No. I did not enjoy the boss fights one bit. I totally did. I am that. super glad yeah. that I used save states on those because <laughs> I just treated them as a story point. I did not treat them as a challenge for me to complete. Well, and it's interesting so, that you say that because, you know, it, honestly, like the last 10% of this game is almost a different game. Uh, yeah, that's that's something that we were going to talk about. All right. The, yeah. the, the yeah. bosses are just bullet sponges. I wish the bosses oh God, yes. were more like the rest of the game where it kind of like bring back the lizard. I really like the bosses in Lizard, and I think they were really integrated into the design philosophy of the game and how yeah. the lizard or the guy in the lizard suit is functioning in the world. Whereas the bosses in this, they were more on the combat side than the puzzle side, and I, I wish it was flipped. Yeah. Well, but they did have a puzzle element. So I, you know, Chris, uh, you were you were talking to me. I was getting really frustrated with the uh, uh, Sith. The yeah. forest boss, because I I could I did not realize that the thing chases you out of that first room, and I thought you had to kill it in the first room, and I spent two three hours trying to yeah. kill that thing, and it was just impossible, and I didn't realize it's you're supposed to like it's supposed to run chase away. You. So you're supposed the, to run away. Yeah, even the bosses are have a puzzle element to them. Yeah, totally agree with that. Yeah, I, I man, I had such a fucking hard time with that. No, but I some games just aren't for some people. I think that's okay. This game, I tell you what, you know, I, I don't understand. There's folks like, uh, so Metal Beast is a guy who plays a lot of, of uh, NES games, retro games, and he posts about it online. He's a, he's a big advocate for homebrew, and I really like following his stuff. He has some great takes about playing through these games. He was actually the first person who I saw play through the game 
And he did it back in like December, January of 2023. And he did it without any help that I could tell online. And he was one of the people that inspired me to create that channel on our Discord because he was walking through the game. He was kind of live tweeting about it as he was playing through it. And um, I don't know, like, I don't understand how, how folks could do that. You know, I, I just, I could never in a million years do something like that. I was thinking about this. If you, if I woke up in a room, okay, and it was a completely blank room and there was just a CRT and an, and an NES and a freaking controller and a notebook and a copy of Full Quiet and Jigsaw came on the TV and he's like, all right, Nick, you have to beat <laughs> Full Quiet. A, Let's play a game. game. You have to, <laughs> you have to play Full Quiet, beat it in 48 hours without going online and getting any help or this bear trap will clamp down on your head. I would be like, pull the fucking trigger. <laughs> Just get it the fuck over with, because it's not going to happen, man. I am not going to beat this game. And, and you know, that's... Well, I just... I did not have fun playing this game. It felt like work. Every time that I solved a puzzle, I did not get a sense of achievement. Oh, Okay? And I saw... I saw... Nathan Tolbert said this, Raftronaut said this on Discord. It just did, did not feel rewarding to me. It's It was immediately, I was just like, oh God, now what do I have to do? You know, my, my memories of this game are going to be, I, I had a, a constant sense of frustration and a constant sense of anxiety. You know, I was frustrated by how opaque the, the puzzles were and I was constantly anxious because I could never shake the feeling that I was doing something wrong or that I was like missing something. You know, and you always have a gun to your head because you got it. Whatever you're doing, you got to get done by 2 a.m. or that freaking thing is going to show up and, right. and cut you down. And the game never misses a chance to make something more difficult than it needs to be. I feel like well, I, the first time I bounced off this game, it takes you like a, an hour of gameplay, at least just to get to the first save state, to get to that first cabin. And then you have to solve one of these freaking circuit puzzles. And I'm going to tell you what, this circuit puzzle, it's it's like the circuit puzzle in Bioshock, okay? That's what it reminded me of, uh, the hacking puzzle. And mm. I thought everybody understood, you know, it was almost a trope in video games that the hacking puzzle in Bioshock kind of sucks. <laughs> you know, I've never seen anybody say anything positive about it, but here it is again. It's the same thing. And it's, man, you got uh, stuff going on. There's like, you know, the, the little uh, sparks are flying and parts of the panel are are blowing up you have to heal them and then yeah yeah. and you know i was trying to do that slowly and no 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 no. you gotta go (laughs) yeah well and i didn't know that what i what i decided to do with those things you just don't think about it you just look at the next piece and you just put them down as fast as you possibly can without thinking exactly the strategy yeah but i didn't know that and i um i actually died because it hurts you if you fail the puzzle it takes away like a, a quarter of your health and i died and i lost all my progress and I never got to that first save point. And that's where I put the game down. And I was like, man, I am going to save this for later because this game is going <laughs> to kick my ass. I am right? going to put this in the freezer. <laughs> yeah, right. That's exactly what I did. Yeah. But I mean, it's just like I, you know, I was talking to Rafternaut about this the other night. We were we were talking about this game for like two hours over chat. You know, here's the thing is that, I mean, these guys made the game they wanted to make. Oh, Yeah. And that's respectable. I appreciate that. You know, that's what I've always said about Lizard, is that Brad made the game he wanted to make. And this game, like Lizard, doesn't seem to really care if you're not the type of person that this game is made for. That is exactly it. One of the things I remember most about recording the episode of Lizard, and you told me, you're like, Connor, you just don't get it. Lizard just drops you into this world, and it doesn't give a shit about you. 
It's just this world and you have to explore right. and you have to take the world for what it is. And that is exactly what Full Quiet does. <laughs> it does. It, it yes. drops you into this world. It has shitty fucking hacking puzzles. It has really <laughs> fucking steep learning curves. It has abstract puzzles that don't make any fucking sense. And it does not give a shit. It doesn't care. <laughs> it does not give a shit. No. I think, uh, Nick, you brought it up because you're talking about Metal Beast. And I think you asked about Connor, what he does and why he likes it. But I think it depends on what how your mind works, what type of person you are. So yes, exactly. Connor's a programmer, probably likes figuring out these things. Metal Beast, I think he does historic preservation or data preservation. So he probably is like writing down all these things all the time and being like, okay, this, I got to come back to this. I don't have all the things. Let me try this. My day job, I'm an architect. So I'm like, okay, let me, let me figure out how to do this. What things do I need? I got to catalog this. So that's probably how all of our interests and minds work. And uh, besides that, game-wise, I kind of like the games that are kind of hard or abusive to the player. Like, I like all those arcade single-screen games where it's like, oh, I got to do this, and you get no reward. You just know that you did it. (laughs) Oh, so that's it. I don't like that at all. I don't. (laughs) Yeah, and it's interesting that you say that, because I was trying to think, so... What game would I consider to be the opposite of this experience? And of all the games that we play for the podcast, and I thought of Omega Blast. I was going to talk about a couple episodes. Uh, I was actually going to say Gradius. Gradius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, right. But I mean, games that we've talked about on yeah, the podcast, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I feel like the spiritual opposite of this game is Omega Blast. Yeah, I agree with that. It's a two minute game, assuming you can survive yes. for two minutes. But it's two minutes of just incredibly intense gameplay, constant, you know, just hammering that dopamine button in your brain, and then you're you're done. It's over. Yeah. And you you can you can survive the two minutes or you can't. And then you just keep going back to get a higher score. Yeah. I loved it. I had more fun with that than anything that we played for this podcast. I enjoyed the shit out of that game. I would put this one at the opposite end of the scope. Yeah. Because to me, it's like I didn't get any reward for playing this game. I, you know, it just constantly felt like work to me. To, to give you an idea of how my brain works, because I feel like we're talking about it. Like, what? <laughs> why does Connor's brain even fucking like this game? <laughs> Let's take an example of one of the puzzles, which is the bird morse message, right? So there's a part of the game where you have to listen oh, yes, to specific right. birds. And it's, so first of all, it's kind of like, you're taking in all this information, which is like the transmissions and the notes, and you're looking at what's on the screen, and you're looking at your notes that you've taken yourself. And you're just kind of like trying to piece things together. And you're like, colors, you got to look at the colors, you got to look at the colors. And so the birds are different colors. Yeah. They're in this one area where nothing, everything is actually pretty plain, and it's just like these three different colored birds. And I thought, okay, maybe it's the color of the birds is the code. Maybe that's actually the code. Or maybe it's like... And the way that I wrote down what they were saying, I, t- I took it down wrong or whatever. I'm like, maybe it's it's mm, like the, the first yeah. two are one thing and then the last one is the second thing. So I had to try it a couple of times. But when I got it and I was like, okay, so that's like the Morse code, like dot, dot, dash. Then there's the slash for between each bird. I went and I did that on the little Morse code machine and I put it in and go, dun, dun, dun. And you get that nice little, you know, dopamine. But it's the dopamine hit that's like finishing a chapter in a book. Like if you're reading a book and you finish a chapter and you're like, oh, I'm going to put that down there. Like you don't feel like, oh, I really want to keep playing. You feel like, ah, I get it. That was the thing. Oh, that's cool. But it's like it's a very slow burn dopamine. It's not yeah. like a bing, bing, bing. Mm-hmm. i got to keep going. See, I don't so get the like, reward from that. Am I, yeah. So like that know. reward feels like finishing a chapter in a book or like listening to an album. And you're like, oh, 
yeah, man, that's cool. And then you kind of like, you can come back to it. And then you actually, I would put it down. I would like think about that puzzle after I finished it. Yeah. I would literally be like, oh, wow. Yeah. And the way that I, I had to do that. And it's kind of like building those connections further in my brain because I know that thinking like that is the game. Yeah. Doing those like neural pathways in my head, keeping those moving is the way you get better at the game. You don't get better by like pressing the buttons faster. Mm -hmm. You get more neural pathways that are, that's the way puzzles go in this game. uh, Yeah. I'm glad you said that because I I was trying to think, what does this game feel like to me? When have I ever done anything for entertainment that reminded me of this game? And it reminded me like back in college and high school when I was trying to read Russian literature. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, you know, I, I got it into my head that I should read Dostoevsky. Sure. And so I would just claw my way through these chapters. It's the kind of reading that like I would read the same page 10 times and not realize that I'd done it. You know, it's something that you just get through very slowly and maybe afterwards you're like boy i'm glad i did that but man is it tough to get through and i was looking at the discord for this and what it reminded me of the most was i'm sure people still do this but i remember this was like 20 years ago on the internet folks would get together and they would have like these online book clubs where they would try to read through some really difficult ass book like david foster wallace's infinite jest they would do a, a project over the summer called Infinite Summer, and they would all try to read Infinite Jest together. Infinite Jest is a massive book with like 200 footnotes. It's notoriously difficult to get through. And, and they would all do it together, and they would kind of talk each other through it and like coach each other and motivate each other, or like reading Ulysses or something. It was just about to say like, Ulysses is like that. With apologies to the Irishman in the room, I'm never going to fucking read Ulysses, okay? It's just not going to happen. It's like... I, I, I'm past the point in my life where I can motivate myself to do something like that, you know, but I've never read Ulysses, but I do remember, you know, I'm hearing a story that really put it into perspective for me. Do you know who loves Ulysses? Like a a famous actress who loved Ulysses. Marilyn Monroe loved Ulysses. Wow. She would take it out on set and she would literally just read a page almost at random because it turns out Ulysses is one of those books where like, yeah, it's a story, but like. You can pretty much open it at any page and be like, right. Hmm, yeah. yeah. Like, hmm, interesting. Yeah. Okay. You probably kind of read it that way. Right. Right. It like doesn't, almost doesn't matter. But it's yeah. like, you could, you could like jump into full quiet and have like pretty much any of these tough puzzles be your first puzzle and they'd all be equally difficult. Yeah. You know, it's not like, I don't think there's actually a difficulty curve. It's just like up and then you're on the difficulty plane <laughs> and then you finish the <laughs> right. Well, actually yeah. you're on the difficulty plane and then there's the bosses and we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. But like, yeah, that's true. Th- that's like, that's it. The game is just like, this is the way the world is and you either get mm-hmm. it or you don't. And if you don't get it, just go back and mm-hmm. listen some more to the birds. <laughs> like that's kind yeah. of it. Connor, I'm interested to know, cause you're talking about like, oh, you beat this, whatever you do this one thing, you put it down like, I'm good. I'm done with that chapter. Have you ever experienced that you set like some sort of hard goal for yourself, but it's not the end. It's like midway through something. You're like, oh, oh yeah, I'm working towards this. I'm working towards this. This is this intermediate goal, but it's super hard. And you do it and you're like, all right, I'm good. You put it away and you never, you never touch it again. Well, no, I don't even never touch it again. Cause like, obviously um, this is like yeah. I'm 68% static, Yeah, but I'm not like in this mindset, like I got to get the static number down. Like the static number yeah. is not the goal. The static yeah. number is just an indicator that you're learning about the world. Yeah, And when it gets 0%, it's like, you don't need to learn anything else, is basically what the game is saying to you. And so, like, yeah, I can put the game down, but it's more like, let's say I'm, I'm doing things like, there's other parts of the game that I'm then thinking about. Because there's probably about two or three puzzles that I had on the go in the mid-game that I was doing at any one time. 
And I'd be like, okay, maybe I'll try this one. Oh, I learned something from this. Maybe I'll try this new trick on this other one. Or I'll try to explore a bit more for this one. Yeah, there's, there's like plenty of these. But like, Nick, I want to bring you back in here because like, it just didn't work for everybody. And I don't think, no. even, if you, even if you put it into the manual, right? Even if you said in the manual, look at the fucking birds and they're going to tell you the fucking code. Like it just wouldn't work. <laughs> like it just doesn't no. give you that. There was no mm. way. I would never have figured that puzzle out. I would, you know, my approach was to just constantly shoot the birds until they did something. <laughs> And they never did anything. <laughs> that you is know, such it, a deep solution. Well, yes, shoot, shoot, shoot. What to your fuck? point, there's <laughs> one of them where like you hang off of a little branch by the bird and it'll drop like a med kit or a rope. So then right. they might think, you, oh, I got to interact with these oh, birds. I need, yeah, I need to shoot the birds. Yeah. <laughs> but right. what I think this needed is something that Dungeons and Dube Knights did where they included a little strategy guide, almost like a Nintendo Power with the game. And I that think nice. that would have yes, helped this. That was really a lot. nice. Like if you don't need yeah. that or don't want to look at it, all right, just just put it away and you know beat the game. But if you want to be like, oh, I'm stuck, and you kind of all right, let me let me let me look at this map or something, get some tips. I think that's what this game needed. That would be such a cool idea to have. I I, I like Nintendo Power just for full quiet. Mm-hmm. That would have been, this would have been the perfect game for Nintendo Power. Yes. Well, I actually like that idea a lot, but even further than that, if you take that further. You could have had that if it was an in-game insert, like with the with the game. Mm-hmm. It could have been from the characters that are in the game. Mm. Because one of the things that I think is not done enough in this, you have these characters that are alluded to in the world building, whatever, as being really rich, deep background, interesting characters. They're like persona picture in the chats and transmissions is really detailed. Yeah. And it just so much of it never comes up. Yeah. So yeah. much of right. it is like, yeah. am I? Is this for the sequel? Like, is this literally for like world building for Full Quiet Two? Like, yeah. there's like the characters that build the equipment that you use are talking about the equipment, and they're like, yeah, I built it using this thing, and I'm working on this other thing. Like, there's a dive splash or a dive pool mm-hmm. that one of them is working on. I'm like, what the fuck's that? I want to know. Like, and <laughs> I would have loved to have heard more from those characters in game. Yeah, and if there was a, a like a booklet of like how to get around full quiet written by those characters, that would have been fucking awesome. Yeah, that would have been like if they sold that today, I would buy it. <laughs> I finished the game. I don't need to know these clues. I'd buy that fucking booklet. Yeah, the last thing I want to say that uh, the game reminded me of was Legacy of the Wizard. I don't know if either of you were familiar with this, but this was a game on NES. It was actually like Dragon Slayer Four or whatever in Japan, but. I had this game as a kid. I don't know how I ended up with this game, but I was compelled by it. It it was really fascinating. You start off and it's got this little family of people and all the family has different powers. Like they, every, every single family member has a different power. You, you clearly have to use all the different powers of the family members to finish the game. And you, you walk out and you've got a nice little house and this cool castle in the background. And you walk over to the left side of the screen and you go into a dungeon and the dungeon this is a, a 2D platformer, action platformer game. And you wander through the dungeon and every room has like a different color and there's different enemies in there. And, you know, you do pick up eventually, you know, you're going to have to use the different family members to get to different parts of the dungeon. I played this game for like hours and hours, dozens of hours when I was a kid. I never got anywhere with it. I never got to the first boss. I didn't even know if there were bosses. I had no idea how to get through this game. But I kept playing it over and over again, thinking that at some point, the solution was going to just emerge. You know, I was going to figure the game out. I never did. And when I got older and I started collecting games, that's one I got. And it's on this shelf behind me. I have a box copy of Legacy of the Wizard. Here's the thing. 
when I was older, I started looking up this game again. I, I encourage anybody who is interested in NES games, if you you are not familiar with this game, Google map Legacy of the Wizard, okay? Because you have to look at this fucking map. When I got older and I I, I was an adult and I pulled this thing up, I realized I had no idea as a kid just how fucked I was. <laughs> Because this is the most unbelievable dungeon map I've ever seen. It is crazy. It is huge. It is an absolute beast of a map. I had no idea how screwed I was from the start. I did not even scratch the surface of this game. I put dozens of hours into it. I had no idea what I was doing. That's how I felt playing Full Quiet. After I got through that first section, maybe myself, you know, I got to I got to that first cabin and I felt like I had really achieved something, right? And then I went into the Discord. I just started skimming the comments and I started seeing everything people were talking about. And I got that same feeling of, oh my God, this game is massive. And here I, I felt like I achieved something. I had not even scratched the surface of the game. It was the tip of the iceberg. And underneath the water is this massive fucking iceberg. It filled me not with a sense of excitement. It filled me with a sense of dread. I was like, if this was that hard just to open that first cabin, there's no fucking way. There's no fucking way. Do you think if you played along with like a full walkthrough, step by step, yes, if that would have equaled enjoyment for you or or not? I mean, I kind of did. I, you know, like at a certain point, I was just like, I'm not going to figure these puzzles out. So, yeah, I was maybe a quarter of the way through the game, and I just started pulling up all the resources I could off the Discord. I didn't know. I did not find it enjoyable. I found it just really tedious. I, I found the game interesting, but very tedious. You know, it was actually a lot like reading Dostoevsky. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Full Quiet is, I would say, the the Brothers Karamazov of NES Homebrew. Mm. Retrotainment, if you're listening, please put that on the box. Feel free <laughs> to, to pull that quote. You can have it. it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, I I, uh, I did not. I mm. did not uh, enjoy it anymore playing it that way. So I don't know, man. I it just different games for different people. Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like I said, these guys made the game they wanted to make. Yeah, I respect that. I absolutely respect that. But this game was not for me. Besides the bosses and the color codes, I had some minor frustrations, but the rest of them are not that big of a deal. Like I wish that there wasn't really such a low limit on the amount of ropes you could carry in the beginning of the game. Yeah. I didn't see that as them. Cause there was an area I think in the Craigs that if you could carry like three or four ropes, you could kind of make a shortcut, but it wasn't really like blocking the game off from progression. I wish you could just carry all the ropes to, to do it. And I really wish there was an in-game map for the caves in the cave sections and the cliffs. Like you have no idea where you're going. Hmm. Yeah, I I did not like the idea that that I couldn't get back to the plateau. It really freaked me out because I was like I I knew there was stuff I was supposed to do there, but right, I just kept right. going forward thinking I you know, I was like, well, you know, obviously I can get back here anytime I want, but I could not. Yeah. That that stopped me on my first playthrough, for sure. That particular yeah. thing and then in the second playthrough when I was actually in the analog pocket, I just kind of leaned into it and then I was like, okay, I get it now. But you're right, it's like if you can't go back <sighs> So my complaint really with this is it, it does so much. Like it's such an ambitious game. I mean, the disclaimer that we have at the top of all these shows should almost like be repeated for this one. It is such a labor of love. There's so much that's put into this. But it does have that angle of like it's trying to do so much. It's some things that just gets it like 85% of the way there. And you're like, oh, yeah, you could right. just... 
if you could have just like dropped the idea of boss fights or just like, <laughs> right. Like, yeah. Like, really just, didn't need just it. not even put it in. Like, right. it's like, it's totally cool. You just, you just make it like a story point. I'd be like, that's fine. That does not remove anything in the game for me. And in fact, if I had to st- play this without save states, I probably would have quit. I probably would have stopped at the bosses and I probably would have gone, wow, this is not the game I was playing. I was playing this game where I was like exploring puzzles and doing things in this kind of like general way. And there's like, okay, there's like combat, but like it's pretty, pretty straightforward compared to these boss fights, you know? Yeah. Right. Um, so I would not have finished the game. I'm pretty sure I would not have finished the game without save states. And it's just because of those boss fights. I, I will say, I think the boss fights assume that you have mastered the controls by that point. Which, I, would if you were... that. I would say it's because you master the controls for like jumping to like activate switches. This is like mastering controls to pixel perfect platform jumping. Yeah. Which is like, no, that's that's not why I'm here, guys. Like I'm not I'm not here to prove that I can jump onto a platform exactly at this time when the massive monster is about to jump and kill me. I just want to know that there was a there was a big fight. And then after the fight, after you kill this final boss. It's like, oh, your son has been here all along. I'm like, what? 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 <laughs> no, just fuck the bosses. Why wasn't I talking to my son more? Like, this is this was the thing that I was playing the game for. I didn't, yeah. didn't want to play those bosses. Now you say that. So I do want to say, I think the story is is honestly a little weak. You know, I I, I expected more out of the story. I expected this because I, I did not find the story to be a motivator. That's it. It's it's because they're trying to do amazing graphics and incredible inventory system that works with a puzzle structure that is like non-linear and you can complete in multiple different ways and there's cardinal directions and there's amazing music and then there's boss fights. And you're like, dude, if you had just dropped the boss fights and given me literally just 20 pages of dialogue instead, I'd have been like, yes, that is exactly what I was looking for. Honestly, I could have just taken a book instead of that because it took me out of that feeling. Doing those boss fights actually was counterproductive to me feeling like I was in that world because I was like, oh, I'm playing Mega Man now. Like, okay, I have to like fight this boss. Well, yeah, and that's what I was saying about how I think the, the last 10% of the game is like a different genre. Totally game. agree. Yeah. Totally agree. And you see, that is the type of game that you don't like. Yeah. So, yeah. But, and so, uh, like, when, you, when you're talking about, like, what, like, you know, it's just, like, doing things really, really well or, like, the way that, like, it kind of misses the mark on certain things, the story part, I think, gets sacrificed mm. quite a bit for every other element that we've talked about today. Mm, like, yeah. I would have liked to have been able to say, oh, the story really is compelling. Oh, it really draws you through the game. You really feel like you're making... Like, I, don't, I didn't feel like I was making progress in the story. Yeah, I agree with that. You know? I felt like I was making progress making these waveforms click and having yeah. zero <laughs> static, but like, I didn't feel like, oh, I'm getting closer to, is it my wife that I'm supposed to be trying to find here? Is that what's happening? Is it my dad? Is it my son? Who is it that I'm actually looking it's for? It's your wife and son, I think, but... The story-wise, what kind of threw me out sometimes, like, everything seems, like, almost post-apocalyptic. Like, you're the only person. And when you yeah, go to I the mid- everybody was dead. Mid-everything, you're getting, like, story from the past. Mm-hmm. You're going yeah. through this, and all of a sudden, I think it's Pap shows up on the farce, and like, oh, by the way, make sure you do this. See ya. 
And I'm yeah, like, then where did on. you come from? Wait, wait a minute. There's other people that are still alive? What the hell? <laughs> yeah. Let's let's no now. Can we are you gonna join me? No, that's no, no. I'm good. I'll see you later. What I was at that exact point in time, I was like, did I did I fuck it up? Was I supposed to do something else? <laughs> yeah. Like I, I really want to emphasize that that like it's if you're in a game like this because it's got amazing graphics and world building and all of this stuff and the give it to me, dude. Like I will drink from the teeth. This is exactly what I want to hear more of. Why is Pap doing this? Why does he feel so strongly, but I don't? Why is there like this tension that's clearly there? Like you, you, I've read over like all the manual mm-hmm. and rereading all the things in the game. Like clearly, the you could have positioned this main character as this weird kind of prodigal son or this like hero's journey where he's like refusing the call to power like, i don't believe in these aliens i don't believe that there's all this stuff no you gotta come on the journey you gotta help us get you know the things go no but i don't and you my wife i was trying to protect my wife and she why well, i just want to like you can harrison ford is there like i just want to look after my family <laughs> like you know it's just like right there i and think that there's nothing gotta be like as much as like if you agree with the logic or you don't there's obviously logic be, that they did to do everything there's gotta be a character development book i think thinking of how they developed the game for the story wise we don't see it but it's yeah. kind of like if you're an actor and you're reading about oh what what drives me what's my backstory yeah, and then they yeah. read this thing and that's how they play the character I, there's 100 there's got to be those documents on the developer side and we just don't know them, but I'm sure all those answers are in there. Yeah. And if they're saving it for full quiet too, that's great. But like, sorry, go ahead, Nick. No, it's like Connor was saying that, yeah, yeah, I feel like these characters were really fleshed out, but I got the hints of that, but I didn't see that in the game. Yeah. You know, and uh, I thought was interesting was that if you go all the way back to the Kickstarter page and watch the original launch trailer for this Kickstarter, it, back in 2017 it's all about oh i have to find my son and it's this guy who goes out into the forest to find his son right and i was thinking about that the whole time i was playing this game because i'm like well i guess they just dropped that plot point and it's not until you get to the very end of the game like yeah. the ending that's where the sun shows up Literally. and it's like oh they didn't drop the sun there's the sun it's like i i but at no point during the game did i have any idea that that there was even was a son and that he was missing i thought they had just cut that from the game yeah. you know I and I thought that too. Like there's, there's uh, even the 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 Onana character. Well, the, yeah, like, the, 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 the benevolent the, alien. Or yeah, the benevolent alien. Like I was like, cool, dude. Like, can we just talk? Like, can we just chat? Like, what's going on? Like, yeah, right. Because like it, uh, the part that I'll, I would say honestly, what frustrated me more than the puzzles was the fact that everyone in the game is talking to each other except you. Yeah, right. You're the only person in the game who is not actively in conversations with everybody else. You have to read notes, like post-it notes that somebody left in the fucking office. And like, (laughs) okay, I get it. Like I'm on a journey and you guys are off doing things, but I'm constantly getting this information on the transmissions in the dreams that you're all talking to each other. You all know each other. You're all engaged with each other. You're making progress independently on something that I don't even know I'm part of. And I kind of wanted to be part of that journey too. I didn't think that was in the present. I thought all that stuff was in the past. And that's why it was so jarring to me that Pap showed up. Yeah, exactly. But that's the thing. Yeah, right, Pap showing right. up kind of breaks that illusion then. Yeah. Like, I would have been agreeing with you that like, oh no, it's like echoes of memories from the past yeah. or something. But like, if he's showing up, he's like, oh yeah, cool. Peace out. By the way, keep <laughs> doing that signal shit. I'm like, well, obviously everybody's talking about the signals because it's broken and I have to fix it. Why aren't they talking to me? 
Well, I was like, why am I doing all this shit? Where the fuck did you get Yeah, to? I think it, 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 it kind of like, <laughs> it, no, it does kind of like hurt the story in that way. Like, not enough for me to not enjoy it. But I like, they're all dead. I thought the sequence of the beginning, them being shot, they're dead. That's I thought everybody was dead. Yeah. That's I just, yeah, I thought I was running around doing this just because it was like me. I, I don't know. I actually didn't know why I was doing all this stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, the last thing I'll say on that is like, I'll do my like fancy little part that you can cut if you want. But I've been hearing this more in terms of people criticizing or like liking games, which is diegetic information. So this is like the stuff that's in the game that your character knows is in the game. Yeah. Right. So non-diegetic things are things like Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible does not hear the Mission Impossible theme. He's not like humming it to himself. Right. Yeah. Right. He's not going around in Mission Impossible, the movie going, dun, 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 right. But he does hear like conversation that's in a restaurant or he does hear like the train that's about to, you know, run him over or something. Like, he hears those things. In the game, there's like this idea of diegetic information, which is like sometimes people call it yellow paint, which is where it's like kind of showing you to go this way. Like, oh, I wonder where I should go. Well, this ladder has paint all over it. Well, maybe I should take a look at this yellow paint and jump on this ladder and see where that leads. And then it kind of naturally feeds you that way. And that's actually really good if you've got this sense of urgency. Mm. Right? If you've got like, oh, I got to fucking go. Oh, where am I fucking going? Oh, look, quick, this is ladder. Let's let's check it out, right? And this the, the setup with Pap is like, quick, you got to, you know, get all these radios set up and you got to fucking get it all together. And then you meet Pop and you're like, peace. <laughs> He's like, it just totally takes away all of this like world building of like, you got to get this put together. Or yeah, you just take your time. You're just going to wander around for a few days and, and figure the rest of it out. And it's like in the game, I don't know if there is any urgency. Yeah. It, yes. It's really hard to figure that out. Yeah. Right. Is there an urgent need for me to help? Or am I just some dude who's trying to find his wife? And everyone's like, well, if you want to find your wife, she's over in the fucking other world right now. But we're, we're just doing stuff with Crystal. And radio. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I like, yeah, if, if there's no reason to do this, like I was like, why am I even doing this? I don't, I don't quite understand what the urgency is. Yeah. But, you know, you're talking about diegetic information. And I mean, I wasn't going to bring this up because I thought it was nitpicky. But I mean, like some of the puzzles don't make sense just in the terms of how the world is supposed to work. Like, you know, if they're setting all these like keys and puzzles up to get into the access different areas because they don't want the monsters to get in there. Like, what the hell does the, the color code have to do with anything? Like, who who made the birds go sit in the field and, be you know, tweet out Morse code? Right, but that's it. I would have, <laughs> loved, I would have read two pages that was like, the aliens are colorblind. Like, I would have just read that and taken that as, go, as gospel. And I'd be like, cool, aliens are colorblind. That's why we use colors as a code. Oh. <sighs> Makes sense, you know? I would have been like, I would, oh, I would accept that. I would accept that. But like I had to make that up in my own goddamn head to just <laughs> head cannon. right. It's your full quiet head cannon. Yeah, right. to justify the like seventeen palette changes that had to take place for me to solve a problem. Yeah. Okay. Great. Overthinking video games. That's what we do at the mm -hmm. Homebrew Game Club. <laughs> well, I mean these these guys definitely over over aimed and overachieved. Yeah. If we were going to overthink any video game, I think this one warrants it. So, all right. We're going to take a short break here, and we're going to listen to some of the excellent music from Full Quiet, and then we're going to come back with our final thoughts on the game and read some opinions off of our Discord. All right, here we go.
All right, we're back. Final thoughts on Full Quiet. Anybody have any final thoughts they want to put out there before we uh, wrap it up? I'm going to put in my final thoughts, and then I'm going to leave it to our, our esteemed guest to add and augment. Flawed masterpiece, if I had to put it in two words. It's an incredible game. The amount of work that's gone into this is obvious. It's rewritten the rulebook on what you can do with the NES in so many ways, graphically, in terms of gameplay, in terms of even controls and things like this. I think it's really innovative. It's doing things that really push the NES beyond its limits. If this came out when the NES was an active console, it would be in the top 10 of the canon. You would have to play this game to say, I'm a NES fan, like I like the NES console. It is unique in ways that defy categorization. We spent 10 minutes at the top of this episode just trying to discuss what genre is it, and it's impossible. I would love to have called this a walkie-talkie or another kind of like (laughs) simple breakdown. It just defies convention in so many ways, and the influences are as broad as like Metroid and Zelda games all the way through to like Abe's Odyssey or Monkey Island or things that are just like maybe even really weird, like Metal Gear Solid, you know, like this kind of like weird elements that kind of all come together. I love this game. It's not a perfect game, but I loved playing this game. The feeling I got when I was in the middle of the game, when I was at like 52% static, and I was exploring this world and I was in the mindset of this guy who was trying to figure out how to understand the world he's been dropped into was unlike any other game I've played, homebrew or otherwise. It's a unique experience, and I really recommend everyone takes a chance on it. Yeah. Chris, you got anything? Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. You know, the flawed masterpiece is kind of, it hits it right where it's at because it's like yeah. the things it does really well it excels at so much so that you overlook the things that it's flawed in almost to the point where you're like, oh, full quiet. And that one bit that the thing that it was kind of flawed and you're like, ah, that's charming in its own right. Because, you know, I love I've been bought into everything else. I'm I'm willing to be like, yeah, you know, it's a little quirk. It, it's its thing. I, I like it. <laughs> You're like chip committed. You're like, yeah, the aliens are colorblind, dude. Get with it. Come on. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, Pappy yeah. showing up in the middle of it? Yeah, I'm good with that. <laughs> yeah, he's cool. If you don't like Pappy, what's your problem, dude? Ah, Come Pappy. <laughs> yeah, good old Pops. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that, that's what I think if you, if anything we discussed and like you think you could possibly like this, yeah, give it a try because there's a likelihood that you're going to love it and it's not going to be like anything else you've ever played before. And it might rank into there something you kind of think back of and like really like, and you'll probably keep playing it over the years. I could see myself pulling this out every couple of years once my kind of memories fade about it, like these little things about it, and just replay it. Yeah. The atmosphere, it just really excels at. And that's kind of the best point of it to me. And that's kind of why I, every few years, I'll go back and play the incident, even though it's like, it's just a puzzle game, but like yeah. it just draws you in so much, unlike other games that you really have this, you want to play it and you want to experience all those kind of emotions and feelings again. Well, I agree with all of that flawed masterpiece. And I, you know, I mean, I've already said, I think people can by this point figure out how I feel about the game. I I think it's, I think it's not for everybody, but I do think it's a fantastic game and I think it's worth checking out. The last thing I want to say, my favorite single aspect of this game was that it sparked so much conversation on our our Discord channel and the speedrunning Discord channel and just this idea of a community of people playing a game together 
which I think is one of the things that we try to do with this podcast is, hey, let's actually play these games. Let's get them out. If you've got something on your shelf, dust it off, pop it in, and let's play through this together. Yep. And the Discord just absolutely lit up with this kind of discussion, and I loved it. It really had that uh, spirit of being way back in the day, and you're on the playground, and you're talking to your friends, yep. and you're trying to figure your way through these old, difficult, intentionally obscure games. And I, I really appreciated that aspect. I think a lot of people, including myself, would not have finished this game without that community. It reminded me of uh, Jeremy Parrish from Retronauts, uh, I, I believe was the one talking about. Um, there were there was a whole genre of these games back in the 80s, especially for like Famicom. So a game called Tower of Druaga, which never came to the U.S., but it's very famous, very well known in Japan. And uh, it, it was one of these things where to get through every single level, you had to figure out some kind of secret. You'd, you'd go around a little maze and there was always like some weird thing you had to do at every single level to get to the next level. And so at the arcade cabinets in Japan, what the arcade owners started doing was they would hang a notebook on the side of the cabinet and people playing this game would actually write down what they discovered in the notebook. And so a whole group of people would come back to the arcade and they would, you could read through the notebook and you could see how to get through the different levels based on everybody else's experiences of what they had discovered and i love that idea and that's i feel like we recreated that with our discord channel and i feel like the other folks on the speedrunning discord have recreated that and that's fantastic i love that well i think i agree that it takes a very special game to create a meta game around it right right like to make a game that's just about making it easier or more feasible to play an existing game I just think that speaks a lot to how special the game is, how people want to engage with it. They find it difficult, like you're saying, like it's not easy to get into. Right. It's not for everybody. People get into this into the communities like you're talking about and they say, you know, it's not for me, and they kind of bow out. And that's fine. Because it yeah. means that it it still provides those signposts and those signals to other people that like this is a community just around this really interesting, if not always lovable, kind of game. <laughs> Kind of prickly, kind of prickly, right? Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, I think that's it. Uh, so, Connor, do you need to get out of here? I do, unfortunately. I'm going to have to bounce. Okay. Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good talking to you, Connor. All right. Connor has left us. He is he is no longer here. I'm going to go ahead and read some uh, opinions from Discord. And I want to put out the disclaimer. The Discord uh, was huge. There's lots of people in there. And so I, I tried to go through and skim some comments, people kind of giving their thoughts about the game. And I hope I'm not misrepresenting anybody. Uh, I apologize if I've if your opinion on the game changed over time and I'm, I I got you at the wrong point in time. Or if I, if I somehow, if I missed your opinion, if I did not go back perhaps far enough, uh, I, I apologize for skipping over your opinion here. But I wanted to get kind of a range of opinions. Uh, lots of folks giving you know, different uh, takes on the game, and I, I wanted to kind of represent that. So Chris Totten, who uh, developer of Kudzu for the Game Boy, he says, I loved it. As someone who hasn't been in homebrew for a long time, I tend to look at homebrew as a sort of branch of indie games, which I have been into for a long time. And it's cool to see how many games lean into more indie design mindsets, which lean into the way games were on the console that they're building for. I agree. I love that. I feel like Full Quiet leans into the NES era in really interesting ways by requiring you to map it out and take extensive notes. 
The logic puzzles are really arcane in a good way, as long as you're queued into that. And I always wonder how these games work to folks, maybe finding them on Switch or Steam and not knowing that they're homebrew. Yeah, I've wondered that too. I, I don't know how I would feel if if I were a younger person and I came across this on Steam. Man, I would be vexed. I'm telling you what. I, that's how I feel. I don't know. Because I, you know, I, I was looking at the Steam page for this. I'm not sure there's anything on like the Steam page that even spells out that this is actually developed for the NES. That's an interesting uh, take on it because like you and I knowing it's a homebrew and it's for the Nintendo, like it comes with this history and design clues and logic that I just bring with me because that's, but if I was jumping into it on PC, not knowing that, I don't know how I'd feel about it. Yeah, and I wonder about a lot of that with these games that are, you know, like you think about like Shovel Knight, which looks like an old game, but it's actually not. Whereas like when you have these authentically designed retro games for that console, you know, people are like, why doesn't this game play right? What's wrong with it? I think people who make games like this are going to run up against that. I think maybe it's it's better to make clear up front that, that it is actually designed for a retro console rather than kind of obscure it. But I don't know. I don't know how you how you work around that. Chris Totten does say that he would not have beaten the game without our Discord channel. And I, uh, I agree. I fight dragons. This is, a, this is a much older comment. I don't think he's commented in This has been a while ago. He says, I love the visual design and the atmosphere is second to none. But the need of constantly having to check this Discord for helpful hints killed the joy of it for me. I respect those who enjoyed the challenge and the communal aspects I also like a challenge, but this game got way too cryptic at points. I am not sure that he actually went on to to beat the game or not. I know at some point he switched over to the other Discord server, so maybe he did beat it. I hope he did. Irish Nerd 47. This is a different Irish nerd, not not Connor. From the looks of all our comments, having a tutorial or directions of some sort could have been awesome, or maybe it ruins what we have. The danger, exploration, and puzzle solving, even in kind of giving no hint what you actually did solving said problem. It's fun to think about it coming out back when Nintendo Power was a thing and playing it out like that. Yeah. As I said, I would have... Man, I think that Nintendo Power issue about this would have been a classic. Would have loved to see that. Treed. Treed says, This game is tied for Lizard with me in terms of best homebrew. It's hard to say which is better. Certainly among the top all time across the NES library as well. Hammered really well on a lot of what I love about games in terms of exploration in a way that NES games rarely did well for me. Raftronaut had a lot of opinions about this. There are so many nice things I could say about it. The music, he, he talks about uh, the graphics, especially the parallax scrolling. Uh, but he had trouble telling what was a platform and what was part of the background. This is his uh, concerns about the platforming aspect. He says the puzzles and gameplay, on the other hand, I have so many problems with that I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> he says, I didn't enjoy ever not knowing what I was doing. And that became so frustrating that he had to stop playing. Now, he is a huge fan of Lizard as well, which fills, he says, it, Lizard fills me with delight and it doesn't murder me if I take too long getting somewhere. Yeah, see, I, I had that issue too with the, the time limit. Man, it just I was just so anxious. I couldn't enjoy myself. I don't know quite how to articulate the difference between those games because it's clear that they have lots of similarities. I never had an aha moment in full quiet. When I could finally figure something out, my reaction would instead be kind of irritable. Nathan Tolbert. Nathan was actually a tester on this game. So he played earlier versions. In fact, one thing that he said that stood out to me, he said that an earlier build of the game, you had to have a fuse. When you got to a new camp, you had to have a fuse just to save the game. 
which is why when you open up the supply box, it says save and there's a little fuse there. And he he was able to convince the developers, you can't do that to people. <laughs> That's just too mean. Man, I'm telling you what, that right there just says the kind of mindset to me, like going into full quiet. Oh, my God. I felt that I way about um, Resident Evil with the ribbons to save yes. on the typewriter. I'm like, oh, this why? And then like, why? you just never save because you're like, I got to conserve this ribbon. <laughs> it's so mean. Why do you do that? I don't understand it. I don't get it. All right. He says, the way I describe it, I, I, I talked about this quote earlier in the podcast. The way I describe it was a point and click puzzle adventure that's pretending to be a Metroidvania, which I think to me just completely sums up this game. I never felt a, a sense of reward ever. That's what he says. Evil Elf. Evil Elf was eventually one of the creators of the speedrunning Discord server. So Evil Elf said, not too often do you get a new NES game that is this deep and enjoyable to work your way through. Big fan of this game. E.C. Myers, who unfortunately did not have time to uh, play along with us, but he did uh, pick his way through it a little bit. He says, I don't think this sort of video game is for everyone, and not every game should be. I feel like the main audience for this game is contemporary gamers, but that doesn't necessarily mean it will appeal to people who enjoy NES games. I think one of the best licensed era comparisons I have for this right now is Blaster Master, which is a brilliant game that I don't always like to play because it can be incredibly frustrating and honestly unfairly demanding in a way that makes it ultimately not very fun. Yeah, that can kind of be a good comparison. Um, yeah. I never really got into Blastmaster as it was released on the NES, but I played the remake of it, Blastmaster Zero, which I really yes. enjoyed, which made a lot of quality life improvements. So That's true. And a lot of people enjoy the sequels to that game better than the original one. I like the original one the best because it it it, it feels more constrained like the original NES game. But yeah, you're right. It makes so many quality of life improvements that it makes the game playable. I strongly endorse that one. Blaster Master Zero. It's a lot of fun. All right. Full quiet, everybody. This one is in the can. Where do you get this game? You get it on Steam, Nintendo eShop, or Xbox. You get a physical copy at retrotainmentgames.com. And the physical copies look fantastic. Just going to say. We usually talk about news here. I did not write anything down. We have been talking for long enough. So I'm going to skip this one. I apologize if your Kickstarter is out there and I, uh, I'm not talking about it or you got news. Uh, we will get to that uh, next episode when we have uh, less intense games to talk about. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and talk about our next games on this podcast will be Flea and Tapeworm Disco Puzzle for the NES. We're talking about these games because Flea 2 should be launching around the time that I post this episode, February 29th of 2024. Flea 2 will be available on Kickstarter. You can get Flea and Tapeworm Disco Puzzle on Itch. Both downloads contain the NES ROM, the Dreamcast version, and the Windows PC versions. You can also play uh, Tapeworm on uh, the Playdate. Yes, Tapeworm is on the Playdate. If you have a Playdate, there's a version available on that. Now, I am I don't know how I could possibly play that. Is there like an emulator for Playdate? Do you know? There is. Uh, I'm not sure if it's open to the public or not, but you can get onto i remember when you if you want to build games for it they have like a like a web emulator i think okay so i'm pretty sure you can play it on on their website yeah okay i think i yeah right all right well i'm going to try to dig that up i would like to play that because i have i have the uh actual i have the dreamcast and nes versions 
That's cool. I got to check that out. Both of these games are available individually on Steam. You can get physical cartridges at lowtech.games. Or you can get both games available together as the Parasite Pack. So it's a Parasite Pack. I think it's like 10 bucks. You can get it on the Nintendo eShop. You can get it on the PlayStation Shop or the Xbox. Flea and Tapeworm Disco Puzzle. We are looking forward to playing those next time. All right. Going to read our outro script here. Thank you to Chris Deadeye for being with us today. I really appreciate having a, a guest host. I hope to uh, do this again sometime. Chris, do you have anywhere where people can go online and, and maybe uh, get in touch with you or see anything that you're working on? Sure. Yeah, you can find me on Video Game Sage under the name Deadeye. You can find me on Twitter as Deadeye underscore bit. And you can find me on Blue Sky as just Deadeye. You can also find me I'm on a bunch of Discord channels. I'm on Video Game Sage. You can find me on the Homebrew Game Club Discord as well. And you'll periodically see me releasing calendars and also playtesting games. Some of the things you can look up, you can look up some of my back catalog of podcast episodes or video interviews with developers, Homebrews in Focus. Uh, it's on podcast platforms or on YouTube. Yeah, I'm not doing anything new, but there's some historical ones there. Yeah, great. Well, I, you know, I think your Humber's in focus, especially because you talk about a lot of the games that we talked about. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I went back to your stuff and used it as a resource when I was doing research on, on some of the games that we've talked about. Yeah. I think I did, um, Lizard, uh, Cowlitz, Gamer's Adventure, Matt Hewson's game, Witch and Wiz. Yeah. Alfonso's Arctic Adventure, I think. Yep. All right. Well, thank you very much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate you being there. This has been the Homebrew Game Club Podcast. You can find links to our Discord, previous episodes of the show, or other social media links at homebrewgameclub.com. And you can look for us on your social media app of choice at HB Game Club. If you like the show, please help us out by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or I guess Amazon Music now, I gotta add that, or Audible, or by telling all of your retro gaming friends about our podcast. If you have comments or a suggestion for a game that you would like to hear us talk about, shoot us a message on social media or email us at homebrewgameclub at gmail.com. Our opening music is by Twee. You can find him on X at TUI2A03, where you can also find a link to his SoundCloud. Our outro music is by Raftronaut. You can find his Itch developer page at raftronaut.itch.io. You can find me, Nick, on your favorite social media apps as Dvertov. That's D-V-E-R-T-O-V. Bart is on Instagram as clever username needed, no spaces. And Connor is on various social media as C-O-N-O-R-N-A-S-H, also no spaces. Tune in next time to the Homebrew Game Club when we will be talking about Flea and Tapeworm Disco Puzzle. Thank you for listening. So, Full Quiet, developed by... <laughs> Hold on a second. This is classic. This is classic, Nick. You're going to get classic this Classic, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, is, we are just ruining the podcast for Chris. He's like, <laughs> God, this sounds like a mess. Yeah, he's like never going to listen to it ever again. <laughs> I did get one person reach out to me because they were listening to some of my back stuff, and they're like, 
you know, thank you for no profanity and swearing. I can't listen to that other podcast. Too much profanity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who the, who the fuck said that? Who the fuck? <laughs> My lips <All> right. are sealed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Probably Matt Houston. <clears throat> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, it's not him. All right. <laughs>